Hello, everyone. Welcome to Path to Glory, a Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. I'm your co-host, Iman Kusro, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jonathan Davis. Hello. Hey, Jonathan. How is your Sunday? It is going well. I have drank my coffee and ready to go. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so for reference, today is January 5th, 2020. Happy New Year to everyone. Um, we've been trying to record this episode for quite some time, so glad we finally got it underway. And we're going to go ahead and start with uh, our community shout-outs in our next segment. So Jonathan, please take it away. Yeah, um, the first community shout-out I wanted to do was for Miniature Fight Club, which is a YouTube channel. Um, and they kind of blew me away with their first video. Um, it's in 4K, and it's like heavily edited and produced. Um, and it's really just great. Um, so I just wanted to give that a shout-out. I can't wait to see more of their stuff. Um, I'm sure it takes forever to make those videos. I can't really even imagine it. So <laughs> as soon as it's ready, though, uh, I can't wait. Yeah, that stuff was really cool. Lots of editing. Um, yeah, I think that uh, like if I was going to show somebody that wasn't familiar with it, like show them the game, I think it would be a really cool way to do that. So um, that's actually to share really that good some point. more. That's actually a really good point. Um, I... For me, it was a little slow, and I left them feedback, obviously constructive criticism. I thought it was amazing, but um, I guess I'm just used to more faster content, so I think I'll take your suggestion and watch it uh, on double speed. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a madman. I watch and listen to everything on double speed. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, – I don't know how you do it. <laughs> you, you ease yourself in. You start with 1.5, and then <laughs> you go crazy. Sounds like you're signing me up for some sort of club. I'm not <laughs> Yeah, if you get to three speed, I get a like a bonus or something. <laughs> the pyramid scheme. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. Um, and then the next one is the uh, recent What the Hex episode. Um, they they had one called Keys to Salvation with Max Bernstein from the Battle for Salvation podcast, and they talk about like general tips and best practices during your game. Um, and uh, I thought that was great. They cover a lot of good things, and uh, so I'd recommend that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Always a pleasure listening to Davey and Max. Um, another new podcast kind of just popped up by the Steel City Underworlds team. It's called The Chatting Crit. It's a six-episode miniseries designed on um, preparing for a Grand Clash, learning about your matchups, and then executing on the day of. Um, again, six episodes. I was lucky enough to be on the first episode. And that's where we talk about the meta and how you assess the meta and how you can possibly tech for it or against it. Um, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoyed the episode with Tom and Mike. Uh, I'm a big fan of British accents. I think I've me mentioned that in the past. So um, <laughs> it's a good listen, great information. And uh, it was truly an honor to be on their first podcast. Um, I think you'll really like it. Yeah, as of recording, it just came out today. And uh, I'm excited to give it a listen Sometime later today, probably. Yeah, yeah, I think you'll like it. Or at least I Great. hope. <laughs> I'm um, sure it'll be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, Agents of Sigmar, um, they're a YouTube channel, uh, friends of the podcast. We haven't really um, given them a shout-out before, uh, but I, I, some awesome content. They pump out videos like no other. 
uh, and I really suggest you check them out. They're more whimsical in nature uh, in terms of just their banter, which I really enjoy. Um, but it's a great way of looking at the cards, see how they're used, and uh, to kill some time as well if you just want to watch some Underworld. So highly recommend you check them out. There will be a link in the show notes. Yeah, I think I've watched them pretty much ever since I started uh, this game. They're really fun. Um, I think it's cool that they um, sort of focus on the casual and fun aspect of this game, which I know that I think sometimes I can <laughs> get a little bit like uh, out of sight sometimes if we're doing competitive stuff. But um, they're really great. I really like their, uh, their, they do live streams, I think maybe biweekly on Tuesdays, I think it is. Um, and those are fun to chime in on and talk to them about stuff. So what is fun? Them. What I, is fun if you're not winning? <laughs> I don't know. Do you? No. <clears throat> Honestly, I don't. No. Uh, any 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 excuse to play this game with people is gonna be fun. Like we're, we're playing a miniatures game. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 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 Jokes aside. Uh. Yeah. I play this game way too much, and if I wasn't having fun, then I would. Yeah, Probably. it's always it's always worth keeping that in mind. Like, yeah. if we could play this miniature game as much as we do, like, our lives are pretty good and <laughs> everything will be all right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 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 At the end of the day, this is our hobby, not our life. Yeah. Yeah. But cool. I tell my that girlfriend was... that because she doesn't think so. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but anyways, moving forward. Um, so I guess the topic for today uh, was Jonathan something you really. Uh, we're keen on discussing, and I, I really uh, got on board with it. And because it's the new year, and we really want to uh, kind of reflect back on 2019, it was the birth year of our podcast. And um, a lot of cool things happened in Underworlds. So for us, it was actually our first competitive season as players. Um, yeah. And so... Jonathan, why don't you tell us about your experience as a competitive player in 2019 um, and kind of explain why, uh, you know, you were really excited to kind of go about this review. Um, yeah, I mean, this for me, I started um, the game in late 2018. Um, I started right when Nightball came out, um, but I wasn't I wouldn't say that I was really up to speed because I had to buy all the stuff. I had to figure out how deck building worked and you know like really just understand the game i wasn't really up to speed until somewhere around the beginning of nightball um mostly due to all the great content that was out there at the time um and so to me 2019 was really like the you know the main part of this game um and i think you played a little bit more than i did in 2018 but um i think we both i would say we really sort of came into our stride this past year yeah yeah i think so i i started when the game first came out i played in one store tournament and then kind of fell off i moved to a different city mm. community wasn't big here so i didn't really think about it and then one day i just saw a facebook event page i think in it was like september it was like a month before nightfall came out so i bought all the warbands that i didn't own i uh, wish was four of them and then uh played forest riders I uh, won my first local, and I was like, oh, I guess I like this game again. <laughs> and then Nightwall came out, and I never looked back. Yeah, yeah, that's 
Very similar to what happened to me. Um, so what I thought we would do is basically just go through the year um, and sort of each shift in the meta and just sort of cover it briefly, um, give our thoughts on it, um, what we liked about it, what we maybe didn't like as much, and uh, just sort of revisit the year. Um, and then we'll just uh, talk about what we are looking forward to in this upcoming year, 2020. Absolutely. Um, so I guess we'll start off then with, uh, you know, the first uh, couple months of Night Vault. So this was after the first bar had been released. So I guess we'll talk about January to February-ish of 2019. Uh, there were four warbands from the Night Vault, uh, Cursebreakers, Thorns of the Briar Queen, Eyes of the Nine, and Zarbag's Gits. Uh, Extreme Flank was legal. Sudden Growth and Deathly, Deathly Fortitude were unrestricted. And then we also had the January Grand Clash, which uh, was the biggest event we've ever had in Underworld. So, Jonathan, what was your thoughts around that that time frame and that meta? And, and you know, um, how did that impact your Underworld's experience? Well, to me, I think this was actually one of my favorite um, meta, like the slices of the meta. Um or meta state might be a better way to put it. Um, I thought it was one of the most balanced um, metas, probably because of the the banded restricted list um, was designed after the cards came out. So the, it was this is one of the first times that the banded restricted list like actually encompassed every card that was released at the time, um, and you could sort of tell that it was designed with that balance in mind. Um, I would say that Extreme Flank was very easy to score. Um, but I think having that easy glory, um, kind of helped some of the bigger war bands. Like, uh, I know that the skeletons were pretty good, um, with that. Cause it was basically just too free glory. <laughs> um, but that sort of helped counter the aggro. Um, cause we didn't have, you know, all the objective holding objectives were end phase cards. Um, and then, you know, magic was good, but most of the magic was the curse breaker, uh, faction cards, or I think, I believe we had unmaking and withering at that time, but we didn't have anything else. Um, so I, I actually think that this was one of the most uh, balanced states of the meta. Uh, I think during this period, I played Thorns and I played Curse Breakers quite a bit, um, as well as some of the Shadespire Warbands. Um, and uh, I, I thought it was pretty great. Yeah, I've actually heard you like, harken back to this era of the game as like you're the Golden Age, kind of, that it was like, amazing, it was really favorite. You mentioned Sepulchral Guard. They were good at the time, I remember, because I went and took them to a star tournament, and I did really well with them. I won. Um, and it really felt like every warband had an opportunity to do something. Uh, it didn't really feel like warbands couldn't succeed or perform. I remember people were playing Reavers, people were playing Magors, obviously the four new warbands, um, as well as you know everything from Shadesfire at that time. And, and and that's actually, I'm glad you mentioned some of those things because now I'm thinking about it and I'm actually smiling as I'm thinking about it because it was just so much fun um, and everything kind of fit. Um, but as you know, and as we all know, it didn't last for very long. Um, why don't you tell us what happened in February? Uh, well, the basically the February, or I guess it was technically like right at the end of January, um, Molog and the Godsworn Hunt were released. And then we very shortly after that had the next uh, banded restricted update where they banned extreme flank and sudden growth and deathly fortitude went to restricted. 
And the interesting thing about, that happened to the meta at that point was uh, we also got Tome of Offerings. So Tome of Offerings plus Molog plus the removal of all that health, or at least it got harder to get that much health from Sudden Growth and Deathly Fortitude. Um, it really shifted the meta into an aggro focus. Mm-hmm. Um, the first event that actually was before the um, restriction and the um, FAQ that kind of actually buffed Moloch because people weren't playing him the way that um, he's currently errated. Um, that was won by Magors at LVO um, by Josh C. And um, so that was interesting. That was uh, one of the last times that Magors actually really did anything um, notable, I think. It's funny you mention the errata because it, it was almost mm-hmm. like a buff to Moloch. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of funny because I, like, I'm sure that that's how they intended uh, Moloch to play. I don't think they were trying to, to actually buff him, but <laughs> no one thought that was how he actually worked. And then they did the errata and he got like way stronger. <laughs> and it was funny because everyone was like, oh, he's so strong. It's really hard to play against him. I remember there were articles coming out on how to take down Moloch. Mm-hmm. Like, Discord was full of conversations surrounding him. And then all of a sudden this errata comes out and like everyone loses their minds. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and, it was funny. And Molog like defined the meta so much for a very long time, but especially uh, in his like premier, um, I guess, time frame uh, when he when he came out, uh, it was he was so scary that people designed entire decks around beating him if they came across him. Um, yeah. Personally, for me, I did the same thing. Uh, Adepticon was also in that time frame. Molog had just come out, and I was definitely afraid of Molog, but I really wanted to play Curse Breakers. It was like my first event. I was really excited. I was like, I'm finally going to travel. I'm going to play an Underworlds event, and we're going to see what happens. But the one thing that would ruin my experience, regardless if I win or not, would be if I just get stomped by a Molog player, because it's just Molog. So I'm going to put all <laughs> these tools in, right, to like kind of kind of combat him. And I mentioned this, uh, and actually, if you listen to the chat and crit, you'll listen a little bit of this there. But I took cards like Rebound, Frozen in Time, like Lightning Whip, Great Strength, Tempest Might, Archer's Focus, like all these cards to make sure that when I hit Molog, I was doing a lot of damage. And if I could do a ready for action combo at the time, I could hit him or I could hidden pass or feign way out of there, run away from him, uh, or maybe stall him with those cards, right? I even ran Transfixing Stare at the time. So um, it's just a really example of how powerful he was. And uh, But he actually didn't do too well when he first came out. Isn't that right? Yeah, it's interesting because I think, uh, especially at the time, um, he was very difficult to deal with, but not particularly reliable. Um, sometimes because you're playing aggro and because he has two defense or two attack dice, um, he's a little bit dice reliant. If you don't get if your first few attacks miss, it can be really hard to get the glory train going, um, for him. But if, if as the opponent, you don't have a plan to beat him, um, sometimes you can just lose. And usually you needed to either be able to kill him or you needed to be able to outscore him, which if he got Tome of Offerings early enough, was very difficult for a lot of warbands. Um, especially like Gits or Thorns or um, something like that, unless you took a lot of keys or uh, Pure Carnage maybe or something like that. 
Um, so it was interesting to me just how much he shifted, like one warband can shift the meta into, can you beat this? Um, and everybody basically had to be prepared for it. And then I wouldn't be surprised if some other matchups did better because um, they didn't really mind as much. Um, and then other warbands kind of got shut out because all the Molog tools were really good against them as well. Like I remember people saying that uh, Gerzag was kind of annoyed by all the Frozen in Time and Transitioning Stare and things like that. And I think Scritch um, with the Skaven is kind of similar. Like if Scritch gets rebounded or Frozen in Time or something like that, then a more aggro Skaven style doesn't really work either. Right. So it was very interesting to see how one warband could completely define uh, the meta, which I feel like is basically what happened. Um, even though um, we didn't actually see Molog take an event um, until much, much later. later. Yeah. yeah. And that was through a different strategy. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of funny you mentioned the unreliability part, because I remember, you know, after a first couple rounds of Adepticon, um, you know, you go and talk to some of the friends you've just made, and uh, uh, Tony Field was there, and he's like, yeah, it's really funny, actually, like, half the monologues are out. And, I, and then I was like, kind of makes sense. And he was like, yeah, exactly, like, they either roll well or they didn't. And if they didn't roll well, they lose. Um, so Yeah, I think like, I did the math, too, and it was like, if everyone was running rebound, because why wouldn't they? A Molog player would run into like four rebounds over the event, or like four rebounds that went off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. I mean, but that's just again like people took rebound because of Molog, and then Molog because there was so much tech against one single fighter, right? Pushed other warbands that were reliant on their leader out of the meta, like you mentioned Skaven. Um, although they did do well at that event. Um, shout out to Jeff Osborne. Um, yeah. They. Yeah. You know, like Iron Skull's boys, you know, those type of warbands suffered because you rely on your leader to do a lot of the heavy lifting. Um, so I ended up finishing Adepticon, uh, which Molog was like one and two the whole event. And then, then as soon as they got into, uh, after the fourth fourth game, fourth set of games, uh, there was no Molog's left undefeated. And then, you know, as you guys are aware, Dean and I went to the final and Dean took Adepticon. Um because of that stupid amber board. Which one? The Molten Shard Pit? Is that what it's called? <laughs> um, well, that's the new one. Um, you mean the Forge? Animus Forge? No, the one with the three lethal hex. Oh, okay. I guess I didn't know that was out yet. Um, yeah, yeah. It's before yeah. the single board rule, which, gotta give it to him. He played the he played smart. Um, yeah, sure. So, that ended. And then... Meta kind of stayed pretty similar, right? And then all of a sudden we get these two new warbands, uh, Thunderous Profiteers and Altharis Guardians. But there hasn't been a bar for a while. Yeah. So kind of people are relying on these old strategies. And then we get into this like magic meta. Um, and then also because of the advent of the Profiteers. Um, and, you know, some people had been playing this style already, which was spamming Surges. But with the Profiteers and the release of more cards... Um, it kind of became almost abusive, where like eight or nine cards are surge cards. Um, so explain your feelings around the meta at that time, Jonathan. Uh, yeah, it was a really interesting time because like this is the first time in the game that we've actually had this many cards because this is the second season. The first season just had one season's worth of cards. Um, and I think you can tell that designers were getting a lot more creative with 
um, the cards and then just having more of them um, meant that you could actually take like eight surges that were pretty good. Um, whereas in Shadespire, even before the banded restricted list, um, that was, I would say, uncommon. I think six was pretty common. Um, before Profiteers and Yothari, I would say five or six to seven was possible, um, but not something that you saw very much. Um, when we got Yotharis and Profiteers, they not only each have two to three, maybe even four very solid surge cards, um, the universals that were available were really good as well. Um, we got Calculated Risk at that time, um, and then both of those warbands just have a lot of really good surges. Um, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't think there's a problem with that necessarily. Um, part of the issue was that sometimes you could score uh, a lot of them together. So you'd, you'd like get one kill and you'd score like three cards or two cards with it. Um, and it felt a little bit spammy and it made the best end phase cards the ones that relied on surges being scored. So like victory after victory or combination strike. I liked great gains a lot because sometimes you would just cycle into like a massive amount of glory. Um, so it was a it was an interesting and very explosive time. And because of Moloch being good, um, damage was really good. We got Sphere of Akshi. So you could really just start burning down um, players and uh, like important fighters with spells and things like that. So it was a very interesting time, I thought. Yeah, I think that's a great summary of, of the meta and the feelings surrounding, you know, the cards and the play styles there. I know that there were two large events. Um, the first one of the of the of the time period was the uh, uh, Warhammer Fest, mm -hmm. which uh, I attended. Um, it uh, was a lot of fun, uh, and that is when the Stormsire Curse Breakers like magic spam occurred. Oh, okay. Um, so uh, there was this really interesting deck, very creative. I think like Jamie Giblin was running it, and then. Uh, sub couple people from some other countries so ran that one and um, they kept spamming in power so that they could score some of magical storm i think and magical mm -hmm. uh, what was the other one the six six magic spells um yeah there's i think magical storm and then i forget what the other one's called but you yeah can do so there's four spells six, six spells so the four is storm um, yeah so then, so the curse breakers. You have harness of storm. You have magical supremacy, magical storm, and then I can't remember the other one. But um, so you would just passively score a bunch of uh, glory for not really doing anything. Um, again, very creative at the time. Took full advantage of the rules. I respect the people who played it. Um, but that was fun. Uh, ended up. But I also took profiteers to that event. And that was kind of the first major showing of profiteers. And I took like eight surge cards. Again, I've been a fan of the Surge playstyle for a long time. I've been doing it since Adepticon. But as Jonathan mentioned, it kind of fit perfectly because the Profiteers had great Surge cards themselves. Mm -hmm. And so um, did really well. Um, and then when I went into the final, um, a big weakness of the Profiteers came out was that, you know, a lack of engagement. And uh, so what happened was the uh, Curse Breakers won in the final. It was Rafa. Great. His name, he goes by Volomir. Great player from Spain. And then a couple weeks later, there was the uh, UK Games Expo, where uh, Eltharis Guardians kind of made a grand showing. 
Um, they performed really well again. Similar play style, a little bit of aggressive stuff, but you know, with magic. And Thomas Conboy actually took that one. Um, he's really active in Facebook as well. And uh, yeah, he took that with Guardians, and it was a very aggressive, magic-heavy deck that relied a lot around protecting Ilthari and then using her to unleash a hail of magic, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I would say it was almost like the Yulthari's version of the Profiteer deck with lots of surges. Um, interestingly, I don't think he had any ways to inspire them because um, their inspiration is a little bit weird other than Yulthari. Um, and I think he probably just used the speed and the range of the Warband um, to his strength. So it was a cool deck, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like quintessential Yulthari's Guardians at the height of their power, pretty strong. And then I believe there was an Australian Grand Clash as well called Objective Secured. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, interestingly, Thorns won that one. Um, and this is something really interesting that I found is that Thorns have always been kind of up there. Um, they're always doing really well. They're always placing high in the meta. And then here we have second Grand Clash one of that year with Thorns of the Briar Queen. Yeah, I, I think they're just a very well... Um, designed warband. They're they're they've always been very balanced. They have a lot of fighters. When they get inspired, they're hard to kill. Um, the queen's great. Barclav's solid. Um, it's just a good it's just a good warband. And then the Varclav push uh, lets them get more efficiency out of one action than I think any other warband. Yeah, it's the greatest action economy in the game. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Cool. Well. So let's move on now. So we've uh, so this is really funny because now we get Power Unbound, right? Um, yeah. But right before Power Unbound, we had this really small nerf, or maybe it was right after Power Unbound, where yeah, they Tome were right Offer- at the same time, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Tome of Offerings and Long Strider get restricted, but yep. in addition to that, there is Narada for the Curse Breakers, so um, the Empower spell or action can only be cast until you succeed with it, and once it's successful, you can't cast it again. So it kind of nerfed that playstyle of the spam and power magic deck. Mm-hmm. So two big things. Mala clearly was targeted because of offerings and Longstrider, and magic decks were targeted. Um, but then we had Power Unbound, which is really interesting because it's probably the strongest release of cards ever. The yeah, cards I- in there were nuts. Yeah, and I actually remember now that the the banded restricted list happened, I think, like a week before, and everyone was like, yay, uh, the Curse Breakers of Mala took a little bit of a hit, and then Power Unbound came out. <laughs> yeah, and it kind of just, like, nullified a lot of that, because you had, like, Burst of Speed, um, Hand of Sigmar. I remember people went nuts over that. Yeah, um, yeah. A warning Shot. So many really good cards that were just auto-includes, like it was a no-brainer. Like, people were taking Warning Shot with Curse Breakers. Like, yep. it was crazy. Yep. Um, so I've got two questions, um, a couple actually. So there was a lot of blowback on the Power Unbound release, right? Um, because Curse Breakers were just really strong again. Molog was doing the same shenanigans he was doing. Profiteers felt strong. And then, of course, Eltharis Guardians. Uh, looks as their magic reliant as well did really well but there was also some benefits right so eyes of the nine started stepping up a little bit mm-hmm. they started yeah. getting real good um 
And then a lot of warbands use the powerful tools in Power Bound to kind of fill some gaps that they were feeling. So it was, in a way, a double-edged sword, right? Where God's stronger were also God. really good in this uh, time period. Exactly, yeah. Shout out to Tom Bond. He, uh, he did really <laughs> well with them at this time. So we have this really strong set of cards that come out. And it makes all the warbands good. But the issue is that it makes the really good warbands even better. So there's a lot yeah. of blowback on it, right? Um, do you feel like some of that was warranted? Um, so, I mean, I, I think so. I think that uh, it's interesting as far as balance goes, because I think that's the main complaint here is that people want a balanced game. Um, they don't want to feel like there are certain war bands that automatically win or automatically lose and things like that. Um, I, I think that in this game, uh, there's a lot of focus put on like how good is a particular, how playable is a particular war band. And it's kind of perceived as a problem if a warband doesn't look like it can win. Um, I would say that even during this period, um, there was balance at the top because Yultharis and Cursebreakers and Profiteers and Molog um, and probably Godsworn um, were all definitely playable and um, like that you wouldn't necessarily know which one of those was going to lose or win. But um, there was definitely a bit of a chasm between them at the top and then a lot of the other warbands. Um, most of the Shadespar warbands um, would be very difficult to win with in that period, um, mostly because just of how good magic was. Um, the warbands that didn't use magic, like Godsworn and Malog and uh, Profiteers, Godsworn could, but they rarely did. Um, those warbands uh, just had a lot of really good faction cards. Um, and then the objective warbands like Gits and Thorns um, had a lot of good faction cards, and they usually had a very high glory ceiling, so they could sometimes um, sort of tussle with the, the smaller Surge spam, magic spam uh, decks. So it was interesting. I think that uh, I think some of it was warranted. I think people felt like Curse Breakers started with the best cards and then they got all the magic and then they got a lot of really good stuff in power unbound. So I could see people thinking maybe they were a little bit too good. Um, but I also think that like Godsworn and Molog and Yotharis probably at least went 50, 50 against them if they didn't actually win more, especially once we got the magic nerfs. Right. Right. So great points all around. Um, Solid, lengthy uh, explanation there. <laughs> um, I always forget that you can go on for <laughs> forever if I don't try to stop, uh, jump Sorry. in. But no, no, it's good. You, you you covered a lot of great information, and I think um, I think I agree with all of that. I think that at the time, magic was really strong. There was a lot of challenges with the curse breakers. I think Harness's Storm was a really big culprit at the time. I mean, it still is. It always has been, really. And then. Um, it was really interesting you mentioned Thorns and, and Gits because like I started seeing those guys take Sphere of Akshi as well mm -hmm. just because it was such a powerful, easy-to-score card. So, um, you know, it was like the era of magic. But there was also a lot of feedback and I guess pushback on uh, one-day events. So Grand Clashes at this time were still one day four to five rounds with a final. I think it was usually four rounds with a final. And a lot of people felt like 
they kind of got the short end of the stick, right? Because they were they were winning and they were winning their games, so they would win every round. Mm-hmm. But if they had dropped even one game within a set of games, like if they won a game, if they won two o two o two o and then two one, it kind of mm-hmm. knocked them out of the final unless everyone else went two one. And so there are people that benefited from that, kind of like me, where you know I've two times I've gone two o all the way through, mm-hmm. but then. There are other players, like I know Steven Van was highly critical of it because he won every round, you know? Right. He didn't win 2-0-2-0, but he won 2-1, 2-0, 2-1, 2-1. And he's like, why am I not in contention for the final? And then it sparked a lot of conversation, and the format changed, which I think was amazing for the game, and that it became a two-day event. So now... Ideally, if you have 64 players or more, um, you cut to a top, I believe it's top eight, or is it a top 16? Top 16. I believe now it is top 16. Um, I think the first one may have been top eight. I know no, Nova No, I think it eight. was a top 16. Because, yeah, I think uh, the first UK one may have been top 16. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So we had this first Warhammer World Grand Clash, first two-day event. Super exciting. Um and, uh, you know, we have all these players duke it out. And then what happens? We, well, we get a bunch of players in who uh, are in the top 16. And we have three Godsworn players. Uh, shout out to John Reese, Tom Bond, and Gerard the Professor. And uh, that's kind of, as you mentioned, where Godsworn were doing really well. And then um, we have a couple players who went 3-1 as well, which is fine. Because, you know, sometimes dice, draws, matchups. Um, fatigue can really affect your gameplay. And But the interesting thing that happened is we had a player who won an event who had dropped a game the day before. Uh, and congratulations to uh, Neil Snowball Hill, fantastic name, by the way, who won the event with a Tome Molog deck. And this is kind of first time we see this strategy where Molog, instead of kind of being that beat stick that he is, is just walking around reading Tomes. Um, he's reading books all day, and uh, it was very successful, and he ends up winning this first two-day event, um, and it was kind of like a big deal because, A, different style of Molog deck, finally Molog wins an event, but number two, again, he lost in the first day, but then took the whole event in the elimination bracket the next day, which I thought was really interesting. What are your thoughts on that, Jonathan? Um, hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I definitely think that a, first of all, I think the highest priority of a competitive event should be to end up with, um, an undefeated, uh, player if there's not a cut. So if it's, if it's just one day, I don't like when there could be four undefeated players, um, and you just cut to the top two, um, because, uh, I mean, if we're doing best of three, which I think most people agree is the best format, um, then I feel like you should, I feel like that's what should be important is whether or not you take the match, not necessarily if you've dropped a game. Um, if the whole point is to be perfect and win every single match, then I think there's an argument that maybe best of one is, you might as well just do that. Um, so, you know, that's that's my opinion on that aspect of it. Um, as far as the cuts go, um, I think it's interesting. I think I would prefer to have one undefeated winner, um, 
But then a lot of the time that would mean just having a second day that's one match or having a really, really long day with six or seven rounds, which I think is probably just too hard on players. Um, And then the interesting thing about having a cut is you can sort of make up for one unlucky matchup. Um, You can, you know, maybe you face another top player in the first round um, and you know that you can still be in it if you win the rest of your games. I think that's a cool aspect of having a cut. Um, because then the cuts reset and the pairings are done based on your position at the end of the cut. So um, theoretically, or if, if they are, which I think they were at Nova and I think they were at the first one. Um, so I think, you know, theoretically you might still have an advantage if you went 2-0 the whole time. Um, but in general, I think it's good. Um but I, I can see the the alternative where, you know, you would want the person that hadn't lost yet uh, to win the event. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is interesting, but, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, it, I think it, it was met very positively by the community and the players themselves. And so um, it kind of set the golden standard for what Grand Clashes will look like moving forward. Yeah, it, it kind of just sets two different goals. The first goal is to qualify for the second day. Yes. And then the second goal is to win on the second day. Right, and right. As long as that's clear and everybody understands how the format works, I don't really see a problem with it. Sure, yeah. Personally, um, I'm still undecided on whether one day is better versus uh, two-day events. But again, um, solid changes and and again most majority of the community likes it so uh can't really argue with that so we also saw at this time the first ever alliance grand clash in the world um there had been a team tournament in another uh in the uk i believe but it was a different Mm -hmm. style so for those of you who are unfamiliar with alliance um it's a shared card pool so although you guys can play the same warband um, you can't use the same cards. So ideally, you play three different warbands, and only one person gets ready for action. Only one person gets, you know, pit trap or uh, change of tactics, etc. So it was really fun. Um, it was held in uh, Tennessee at the American Team Championship event, and so the first grand battle, ideally, is what it's called. And uh, very excited. As you guys know, Team Path the Glory won. Uh, Davey Calkins from What the Hex was also on our team. And we won with Profiteers, Guardians, and Molog, which again, three of the arguably strongest warbands at the time. Granted, the power level shifted a little bit because of the deck building limitations, but that was also a lot of fun. And uh, we had a great time. And uh, yeah. yeah. What, what were your thoughts on that event? I, personally, I love the format. Yeah, I mean, for, first of all, that was my first um, competitive event. Um, it was my first time traveling um, just to play a war game. Um, and I thought that aspect of it was wonderful. It was great seeing people. It was great meeting Davey for the first time, um, even though, like, we talked and stuff before. Um, everybody there was great. Um, so, like, from... A going to tournaments and having a good time there, like that was awesome. Um, and then um, the winning was just very rewarding. Um, we had planned and we had practiced um, and we executed the plan and that was great. 
Um, I like the format. I think that uh, especially towards the end of the season, which um, it was, we had all the cards. I think we were um, one banned and restricted from the final form, but um, we had all the cards. And so once you have that many cards, um, I think you can make three uh, interesting decks and you can come up with a strategy that hopefully can beat the other person. Um, and I think now they actually have changed it so that um, I think you do have to pick three different warbands, but effectively you would have had to anyway, um, because you wouldn't really make a deck with, uh, it wouldn't really be possible to make like three Cursebreaker decks or something with none of them using the same cards. <laughs> it would be very difficult. Um, so I think it's a great format. It's probably my favorite. Um because there's, I feel like it's a lot deeper tactically. Agreed, yeah, it's definitely my favorite. Looking forward to going back again this year. Um, but also at ATC, we had the first ever Grand Skirmish. Um, unfortunately, there was no trophy or anything, uh, sad face. But um, it was a new format that debuted, and it was five rounds best of one, um, which was really interesting, and it really rewarded kind of cheeky, smart, uh, surprising play. Like I had a player in the first round I played against uh, um, a buddy from Canada and he um, played Steel Hearts, but then he was running everything or nothing. or All or nothing, yeah. All or nothing, yeah. Yeah, that's and, fun. <laughs> uh, it was a fun one because like, halfway through I was like, oh, I know what you're doing. And he goes, do you? And I say, you're playing this deck. And he just like smiled at me. And so that was a lot of fun. Um, we we had a great time there. I think you and Davey were both running Godsworn? Or? Yeah, I think uh, Davey and Matt Martin and I um, and maybe a couple other people were all running the Godsworn, um, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. So I ended up having a lot of fun in that event. I ended up winning it, and then you got third with Godsworn. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. I, I, what I like about the skirmish is that it's fast and you get to play um, multiple people. Um, like I, I kind of look at it like a like a speed dating sort of version of Underworlds. Like you just quickly go from <laughs> one person to the other person, and and it's just a lot of fun games and just see what works. Yeah. Um, the uh, the interesting thing about the deck building is you kind of can do surprises. Like I wouldn't normally expect like a denial conquest sort of strategy nowadays because it has weaknesses in best of three, but you could do that in best of one and surprise people with that. And, you know, that could be really difficult to come back from a lot of the time. Exactly. Yeah. And and, that, and that's kind of the appeal behind it. Um, I know that certain skirmishes now are, are following grand clash formats, but ideally I believe it was introduced as a one day play as many games as you can have fun. Mm -hmm. style event and, and that's exactly how we ran it at uh atc and it was a lot of fun yeah i think the intention uh or the main intention anyway is to have it be a uh have, be a, a fun event for everybody who didn't make the cut on the second day um i know that some uh i think it was the german i believe it was the german event that happened recently um they had the the prize pack for the grand skirmish, but they were effectively running a grand clash, which I think is, you know, makes a lot of sense too, if that's what people want. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think uh, they actually did a skirmish for the people that didn't make the second day there too. And they just had their own uh, prize support, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. 
Um, so moving on, then we get to uh, the next bar, which actually happens very shortly after the release of Power Unbound. I believe is within a month of the last bar. So almost an emergency bar list, if you will, where Power Unbound gets hit uh, and Magic gets hit again. So it kind of puts a lot of those very strong cards like Spirit Bond, um, Warning Shot. Um, yeah, they, some of the other cards, and then just throws them on the, the restricted speed, list. Um, yes, yeah. Yep. Um, Sorcerer's Scouring, um, the Sorcerer's well, not Repost, the Flourish. Um, so they hit Magic really hard. Um, that was the main part of it and then they did the uh, upper hand was still around oh um, yeah upper hand was around okay <laughs> uh, they also took uh, i think you already said spirit bond yeah uh, so but basically just a lot of the no-brainer cards yeah um i remember and, everyone's decks went from like five restricted cards to like <laughs> 12 <laughs> yeah it was almost <laughs> like the first banded restricted list again where like john reese's deck went from you know no restricted to like 20 <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah so um that was kind of funny um and then like soon after that dropped we had like our first like another major u.s event uh gen con two-day grand clash um a little infamous in a lot of ways i think gen con for me but uh <laughs> like you know we had predicted that objectives are going to be really strong. And because, uh, like, you know, it just kind of made no, it, it was a kind of a no brainer, right? Like, all the big guys got hit, but objectives didn't. So, right, right. The magic, the magic spam and the surge spam had been tempered a little bit. Exactly. And it was interesting because what that, what we, what we thought that that meant was that gets and thorns were suddenly uh, very solid again. Um, because you couldn't really burn down as many fighters as you could before that uh, before that update. Um, and this was also the final state of the game uh, in Nightfall, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and I think in general, I would say that it smoothed out the meta, because all of those warbands that were um, good before, like Cursebreakers, um, maybe not Yotharis, they might have been hit a little bit too hard, um, but m- most of the warbands that were good were still good. And then a lot of the warbands that weren't seeing as much play kind of rose up a little bit. It was just sort of a smooth thing out. Um, yeah, it's funny you mentioned Guardians got hit too hard because Eyes of the Nine yeah. were a casualty as well, right? A lot of yep. the cool stuff that they could do where people started finding them to be successful again uh, no longer became successful. Um, because, again, um, as we mentioned earlier, when you nerf some cards because the guys at the top are too strong inadvertently you hurt the guys who really needed those cards to even compete so um, a lot of people got hit i know there was a little bit of pushback because eyes and nine got neutered again but um we go to gen con right so you have this two-day grand clash smaller turnout than anticipated so uh the cut's a little weird i think it's top six but uh there yeah, were a lot the, kind of uh, like a kind of like a wild card sort of situation or like a I guess you got a buy. It was top 6 but the the top 2 got a buy, right? Yeah. But Gen Con was kind of like a mess for a multitude of reasons. I think a lot of people who made it on day 1 dropped from the event. 
So um, Paul Steiner, who was number one on the day, uh, ended up dropping out of the event because he had to TO a Game of Thrones event, but then ended up missing the event because they TO'd it, or they just played the final that night. So a little uh, disappointed for him. And then Kat, who we actually played against at ATC as well. I played her. Um, her significant other did not make the second day, so they decided not to come back. And so she dropped out of the top six as well, which bumped two people up, one of them being Jimmy Molini. And so then we played the day two, and uh, a lot of fun. Um, I got a buy, and Duncan Bills got a buy because we had bumped to one and two after the people dropped. Otherwise, we were uh, two and three. And then, um, yeah, it was really interesting because, like, Thorns and Goblins did really well at that event. Um, but because there were a couple people that anticipated that play style, they just got demolished when they, you know, played against, like, my Profiteer deck um, had, like, um, you know, Shard Gale. Mm-hmm all that ping damage. So uh, it was uh, it was really interesting. So we played and uh, got to the final. And then it's it it really funny. I played against... I'm playing a deck that wants to kill people, and I'm playing against a deck that wants to be killed. <laughs> um, right, right. So uh, it, was, it was an unfortunate matchup, and it was a real underdog story for Jimmy, who, like, didn't make it day one, somehow makes it, and then wins <laughs> and goes and wins the whole event. So really cool. Um, with a warband that I don't think most people had even considered. Yeah, it was kind of it's really kind of cool. it's kind of funny because like my friends are like voting for Reavers because <laughs> it's like you know it, just because it's so random. Um, and it was yeah. such a like underdog warband as well. That's another part of the interesting story there. So, um, but then it just goes to show, right? Like everybody was complaining about this meta, about mm. how like a lot of only like four or five warbands are competing. And here we have a warband that's on no one's radar come and wins this event quite convincingly as well. So it kind of like shuts people up a little bit. And they're like, well, <laughs> I guess, you know, player skill is important and matchups are important. And if you have a good game and you read the meta and you have a good day, you can win. And so really exciting to hear that. And, yeah. then, and then we go to Tabletop Scotland, which is like this like one of the last I believe it was the last event for the UK mm-hmm. yeah. um, and then we have even more innovation at the end of a meta we have this crazy cuddle thorns deck um, <laughs> yeah, essentially yeah we do. Your, your whole purpose is the thorns just want to surround one fighter and then they score a bunch of score immediates um, and it was really interesting because never seen anything like that before I know that there were a couple of people who helped John Reese come up with that deck. He gives them full credit in his blog, but um, it was just like, wow, never heard of that before. And so ideally when you're playing in storms, you want to kill them. But now <laughs> if you're getting too close to them again, they're just going to like hug you and score glory. Yeah. Um, he actually wanted you to use hidden paths so he could then use pushes to surround that fighter and score like two glory from it. it exactly. Cool. Exactly. It was, is a very, very well thought out, interesting design and uh, ended up winning the event. Uh, I don't know if that was a two day. I think that was a one day, though. 
That was a one day, I believe. Yeah. yeah. And that was also um, one of the events where um, Michael Carlin was playing the uh, sort of infamous Skaven deck. That's right. The uh, Crown of Avarice and uh, Expendable. And you were sort of killing your own fighters, sort of like positioning your fighters to die in certain areas. Um, it was very interesting, sort of cerebral deck, I think. Um, and he did pre- he did pretty well with it. I think he uh, just ended up losing to John in the uh, second to last round. So yeah, I think he got third or fourth, fourth maybe. Something like that. Yeah. 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 Still a solid showing. And, and that was another example of a deck that nobody really expected. And then like that was from Skaven, who hadn't really been relevant for a long time. But then with the final form of the game, uh, like a lot of people were enjoying that deck. It was it was like doing well locally and stuff. So it's very cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I believe it was kind of uh, birthed by Mad Skulls. Yeah, yeah. Mad Skulls on the Discord um, pretty much came up with it and uh, just kind of exploded across the scene. So that was really cool to see. Yeah, some really cool examples of innovation even in the final state of a game, right, where you people are probably thinking, you know, Meta's tried and true. Here we are having these um, uncommon strategies and decks with Reavers, Thorns, and Skaven, and they're performing very well, in fact, winning two Grand Clashes. Um, and then we get to Nova, right? So it's effectively yeah. a two-day Grand Clash. They have a very interesting system where people are into pods, so Nova was top eight. You had to make top eight to go to day two to try to win the event. Mm-hmm. And that was really interesting as well because we have this uh, meta that we all kind of know who's going to show up. Like everyone's going to be there, all the big guys in the U.S. And everybody knows what those people like playing. So it was this really interesting mind game where it was like, I know I'm going to play against this person, so I'm going to have to probably prep for this. But I also know I'm going to play against this person, and that card doesn't help me there. And so it was really interesting on how you were preparing for the event while also trying to create the most optimal deck for you and your strategy. And uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, And it was a really cool example of, like, just proving to people that it doesn't matter what warbands people are playing. If the same people are making it to the top eight or the top four, then it's not a warband issue. It's just those players are doing really well. Um, but it was also really interesting because like everyone kind of thought curse breakers were dead. But then you mm-hmm. have eight curse breakers show up to the event, and then four of them make it to the top eight. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <clears throat> Although, I mean, also obviously those four players are really good players. So right, it, yeah. it kind of shows both ways. Like I don't think um, I don't think curse breakers really were doing i guess they were i guess curse breakers made the uh final at scotland as well um that's right was it Derek? So, uh yeah yeah Derek uh captain murder i think is what he goes by uh, interesting yeah um so i mean you know i think they were solid obviously but i think i don't think anyone was surprised to see uh the players that made it to the top eight get to the top eight exactly yeah they were all and, just great players Absolutely. I think it was probably one of the most stacked events we'd been to. Mm-hmm. Um, and another example of someone losing on day one and winning the event, right? Like you won Nova, which is probably the most competitive yeah. in terms of like people showing up. And um, But you, I won you, 
through a rematch that I had previously lost. Exactly. Yeah. So it was it was really cool that you got to kind of get revenge, right? But again, like it just goes to show that the guy who won the event in an, in an old meta or the old tournament structure couldn't have made it to the final. But here we are, someone who kind of starts in the lower seat of the top eight and then claws his way up to the top. Um, so not only mm-hmm. does it create a really cool narrative, but again, you know, goes to show that there is validation in this two-day format and that some of the better players can win. They just sometimes have bad games. And I think you had mentioned that. You just drew really crappy in both those games. Uh, uh, I mean, yeah, we go over this in our uh, in our episode. Um, there were a lot of things that happened in those games, and uh, some of it was bricking because I was relying on a lot of combos in that deck. Um, Dean is an excellent player, and any mistake that is made, he te- he tends to capitalize on. So, right. um, yeah, I mean, they were they were good games, and then the games that I ended up winning, um, just you know, everything worked the way that I wanted it to, and they were. Uh, especially the second one was pretty close. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting format. Um, like up to that point, Dean was undefeated. Um, and I had only lost to him. So, uh, I would still say he kind of did the best at that event. Um, but he lost the most important game. So it's just the format and, you know, he, he understood the format and we understood the format and, uh, it was interesting. But Absolutely. You know, it's it's definitely possible that if I had, you know, not scored well enough in the other games that I uh, played, I wouldn't have made the top eight because of that loss. Um, so it kind of put me on the position to try to fight for that top eight spot, which was an interesting uh, dynamic as well. So I think in general, I like the cuts if you don't have enough time to get to one undefeated winner um, in one day. Right. Which I think no, I is think, just a numbers issue. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I think it makes sense. Um, and uh, it was a, it was a lot of fun. I really had a good time. I think we both didn't realize how many curse breakers and profiteers were going to be there. Um, we played a bunch of mirror matches, and uh, important lesson for those of you who haven't heard the episode, but uh, please tech for the mirror. <laughs> yeah, and th- that was my first um, large singles event, uh, other than the one I played Godsworn at, and that, that was really just a skirmish. Um, and I think I probably learned the most um, from that one. So yes, that was yes, a really we great get it. Experience. You went to two events and you won them both. <laughs> cool story, bro. <laughs> that, uh, that is what happened. You are factually correct. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure I peaked. So. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Well, who knows? I mean, like I said, you're a great player, and uh, you know we've got plenty more events to go to. In fact, you're going to more this year than you were last year. That's true. But enough about enough about Nova. Uh, And then we just have the final event of the season. We have the Warhammer Citadel Grand Clash. It actually is on the same weekend as the Beastgrave release, so a lot of people were kind of checked out for Night Vault. But for me, it was really important. Uh, and f- for Jonathan, it's his backyard, same city he lives in. For me, it was three hours down the road. And it was my chance to win the Grand Clash. The meta at this point was was exactly the same as Nova in that we knew what was happening. We knew what uh, strategies worked and what didn't. And again, a lot of people were checked out. So um had some great players there. I just went back to my tried, true, and trusty profiteers. 
it was a one-day event, which apparently I seem to do better at those than two days. Um, and I ended up taking it. Uh, special moment for me because night bolts over. I got my tro- I got my trophy. Um, yeah. But at that point, it was just bee scrape time. You know, people were kind of uh, people yeah. <laughs> ready to move on. I wanted to pick up my beast grave and put it together more than I wanted to, or almost more than I wanted to play the. Yeah, well, it's easy for you to say you had won a grand clash already. Oh, Um, sure, sure, yeah. So, um, we had it was a lot of fun. Played a great final against Tony Field. Um, someone is a fantastic player, someone I look up to. So, it was nice to uh, play a friend and and go to game three. It was fun. Yeah, it was so, cool to also see Matt uh, Martin there. He made the trip, and uh, Adam, who was playing Eyes of the Nine, it was cool to see him as well. Yeah, yeah, he was from the UK, um, but I think he's mm-hmm. like backpacking through the United States or something. I wasn't really sure. He had this huge pack with him. <laughs> uh, but he was also at uh, SoCal. So uh, I don't think he went to SoCal. I think he went – because SoCal was the – same day, I believe, or no? That, I no, think he went SoCal, to the other one. SoCal, this recent SoCal, he was there. Oh yeah, yeah. SoCal was the same day as the other Beast Grave. I believe he was at the. Uh, could be wrong. I thought Adam was at the uh, big UK event. Oh, I don't know. A lot of people named Adam, but Adam, <laughs> if you're listening, you know who you are. Um, <laughs> he knows where he was. Yeah. So, question for you, uh, and I sure. think I know the answer to this, but what was your favorite state of the meta during Nightfall? Hmm. I guess I might say the final state. Really? And, and if it wasn't the final state, it was the one right after the band and restricted, the first band and restricted list. Right. It was it was one of those. And the reason for that is that both of those states had a band and restricted list that was created with all of the cards in mind, which to me is kind of the most important thing. The, the times that we've had the most turbulence in the meta is when new cards will come out, and then we're waiting for them to be banned and restricted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so both at the beginning, when the Echoes and Eyes of the Nine and Gits came out, um, and then they restricted the first one, that was a, a great time for the game, I thought. And then at the end, after Power and Bound was out, there were no more new cards. Then they you know, wrapped up everything, and it was you know another really good um time where aggro was good objectives were good and then um you had sort of control elements with the skaven um you know tomes were still a thing if you wanted to so um to me that's always going to be the best time for the game is when you the most play styles are available right i agree i think for me it would probably again a tie between the first bar list um where, like, Sepulchral Guard were doing really well. <laughs> um, yeah, th- that might be the one that I would... If I have to pick one, it might be that. Um, you the do only have reason to pick I, one. Well, I guess I'll pick that one then. Okay. I, I just like the Final Night Vault one because we had a lot more warbands and there was a good amount of variety there, too. So my favorite, actually, just because of how exciting it was, was uh, after Tome of Offerings and Longsword had been restricted, it would write before power unbound so it's just like really small three-week window (laughs) (laughs) yeah for me that was the most fun because it just felt normal it felt like yeah tome of offering should have been restricted a long time ago showed of long strider uh, and we and you know we had these like recent correction of curse breakers but i even really enjoyed like the moment profiteers come out is when i started enjoying the game a lot more um 
I love that warband. Um, obviously, it's special to you as well. But it was just something where I was like, like before that, I just played a different warband like every game because I was just like, ah, I'm just having fun. I enjoy the game. But like this one really sang to me. So it for me, it might be even though there was no bar for a while and there was this magic meta surge spam uh, and I ended up still losing in Warhammer Fest, that was probably my favorite meta because like it not only did it push Magors out, which I don't like Magors, playing against them at least, it's just <laughs> not fun. Um, but like it was just awesome. Like I remember I played against a guy in England where I just like obliterated his Magors because they would run in one at a time and I'd cleave them down and shoot them with like a hail of bullets. And it was like the most like fun experience for me. <laughs> stomping uh, Magors. <laughs> stomping Magors. And, and, and again, like Profiteers, I love that warband. Like even today, I still try to figure out how I can play them. Um, because like they're just some warbands that you really connect with. And for me, it's always been them. Um, I really enjoy them. So, um, but now we've reached the Beast Grave. So yeah, we have. our beloved warbands have somehow, due to the Necroquake that Nagash has, uh, this unholy ritual, it's kind of like altered and shuffled around some of the network of the Shadespire, uh, the city of Shadespire, and now like it's connecting to other realms, and the curse of the Cataphranes is spreading, and now our heroes and villains and favorite model- models are just popped up in the realm of Gur, and there's this giant mountain that everyone's fighting over, and everyone's kind of curious as to why. And so um, we have these really cool new warbands that come out. We have Grash Tracks to Spoilers and Skate's Wild Hunt. Interestingly enough, though, they didn't really have a large impact on the meta at first. Why do you think that is, Jonathan? Before we get into some of the uh, changes to the championship format and the introduction of it as well, like, why do you think those warbands, while looking really cool, didn't really impact the meta very much? Um, I think part of it was that we really just, because uh, I believe the cycle had already happened, right? Like, we couldn't use uh, Shadespire cards anymore. Correct. I think the that moment, happened immediately. I think the moment Beastgrave dropped, Shadespire yeah. was out. So there was only about, I think, a week or two before uh, Grimwatch came out, but... Um, I mean, Wild Hunt are a solid aggro warband. Um, their spoilers are kind of a mix um, between aggro and objective style. Um, but I think we really just didn't have very many tools yet. They seemed like they were both okay warbands. Um, I also don't know if we really had any events during that period. So it was kind of just an exploration of um, the current card pool, um, which was pretty limited, and um, lethal hexes w- were pretty big um but neither of those warbands uh i mean i played them and stuff so but it was also a short window so right. i'm not really sure how much impact anything really could have had yeah yeah sh- sure so then let's just move on then right so we have some huge announcements we have the competitive format announcements we have championship which is yeah. uh, only current last two uh expansions so for this is beast grave and night vault shades fires rotated out we have Alliance, which follows the same format, but now it's teams of three, must be three separate warbands, and you cannot share cards. Then we have Relic, which anything kind of goes. We have these updated um, uh, um, rules, like the new restricted list comes out shortly after. 
It limits the restricted cards to three. And a really cool thing about Championship that I just didn't mention is that you can only have up to six surges in your deck, which effectively kind of neuters that surge or score immediate spam that we have uh, kind of referred to throughout the second half of Night Vault. So massive shifts, massive changes. Um, people are still divided on whether they were good or not, but overall I think the consensus is pretty positive. Um, l- less score immediates, but also mm-hmm. less restricted cards because after Shadespire rotated out, you know, Moloch and Curse Breakers and Guardians could still take those heavy magic or heavy movement uh, lists. And so mm-hmm. with that being neutered down to three, um, choices are more critical now than ever. Um, and I think those were received pretty well. Personally, I loved all of those changes. What do you think, Jonathan? Uh, yeah, I think that all those changes had really good reasons behind them. Um, there were too many surges, I think. Uh, if, if we didn't have a surge limitation now, um, a lot of my decks, I think, would just be like, eight or nine surges <laughs> yeah they'd be silly <laughs> it'd be pretty silly yeah and then yeah. like combination strike like, okay yeah um so i mean you kind of have to plan for the end phase now more than you used to which i like um i think that's imp- an important like part of the game is making sure you've you know met those end phase conditions um i will say it does seem a little bit more random the way the cards come out sometimes yes exactly um, because it's exactly half and half um like the way that the math works out like you're just as likely to have a good hand as a bad hand and mm-hmm. but in general i don't know if that really impacts that much just an interesting thing to consider yeah i, I agree know. i agree like sometimes whoever draws their surges first has an advantage and we've talked about this in previous right. episodes so we won't get into it but you know yeah. we've kind of explained the science behind it <laughs> right um and on all the other changes I think I just like it five restricted cards didn't make sense. So Yeah, yeah, super glad we dropped down to three. Love the six surge limit. Um and then we get this new event announced called the Masters. Yeah. Um mixed reviews, mixed reception. I think initially there was a lot of hype. I think a lot of people are upset that it's not in their region, and I think the ways that you qualify mm-hmm. it are a little convoluted. But overall, um, because this is the ultimate competitive miniatures game, there is now the ultimate competitive event where right. all the top players who've won a Grand Clash or qualified through some other means will all go to one event at the end of Beastgrave, which for this event is Nova 2020. And we'll duke it out to see who is the best underworld's player in the world in theory um again it's but you can only compete if you attend the event um and you will be the first underworld's grandmaster which is really exciting uh, prestige on a whole nother level i think it, for a long time winning a grand clash was prestige but now that there have been so many grand clashes and people winning more than one um the prestige is a little dipped down a little bit for some people and so now we've created another bracket of the Masters. Um, I, I equate it to, like, I'm a big Hearthstone player, so, like, the Hearthstone World Championship. It's kind of like the World Championship for Underworlds. Um, mm-hmm. Granted, you can be limited due to travel limitations, so, like, that's why there's a lot of negative criticism due to a lot, mainly a lot of people from the U.K. and Europe because they're like, why do we have to travel to America? 
like when we support the game and there are more people here that play it. Yeah. I don't know. I believe the plans from what I've spoken to uh, like event organizers and coordinators, uh, non-GW and GW, it seems like the event's going to travel. So maybe the event won't be at Nova in 2021. Maybe it'll be in England. Maybe it'll be in Spain. Maybe it'll be in Germany. Or maybe it'll be in Russia. We'll have some crazy decks. Who knows? But <laughs> I would really like for the event to travel. Um, a lot of other games do that. But uh, I really like the idea of Masters. I think the execution is a little poor. What do you think, Jonathan? Yeah, I mean, I love that it exists. Um, I think it's really cool that um, you can do well in an event and um, then qualify to go to like a second level of event. Um, that's that's really cool. Um, I think, uh, I mean, the location, you know, if it was in the UK, all the American players would, you know, that would be problematic for them. If it was in the uh, America, then the UK players will have more difficulty. So I think changing where it is each year is a good way to do it. Um, I also think that uh, my understanding is that the Nova Open is one of the best uh, wargaming events in the world. And so it actually is kind of a natural choice for that reason. Um, if you're assuming people are going to travel to an event, I think it's a great one. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think that makes sense. Um, as far as qualification, um, I would have liked uh, allowing more people to qualify. Um, I think winning a Grand Clash, obviously you should be able to go. Um, I would have liked to see uh, top two or maybe even top four um, get to go. I know that I think the top four would get used to get cards um, in Night Vault you would get or in Shadespire as well you would get a promo card if you got the top four. Um, so I I would have thought that you know top four would be allowed to go. Um, the store codes is an interesting way um, to do it. Although I don't know if I really think that that's the best way to do it. I would agree. But, I would have really liked to see top four. I think if you've made it to top mm-hmm. four or if you've made it to like top eight, like you're obviously, I mean, top four, especially like you obviously deserve to be there. You are one of the top players on the day. You probably mm-hmm. didn't win because dice or a card order, like honestly speaking, or the matchup was so skewed, which is fine. That happens. But like, mm-hmm. think about it. If you're able to get into a top four, especially in a large event, Mm-hmm. Like we've talked about this so many times, even in a final, if two evenly matched players show up, what's the what's the one thing they can't control? Dice and card order. And that's what kind of that's what makes the game happen. Um, and uh, I would have loved to see that. I don't like the codes. Yeah, yeah. No. I, I would also be okay if the winner of a skirmish um, got to go. Oh, I think that's fair. Yeah. Like just maybe the top one. I could yeah, see that. That's cool. I really do like how they're doing these masters events. Where they're like grand clashes, but they're like mm-hmm. road to masters grand clashes. Where I think there's a total of four events. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's two at Warhammer World, one at Adepticon, and one at in the Dallas. Dallas Citadel in May, where the winner gets their uh, flight paid for. So this is really big for the people. Hotel as well, I think. Is it okay? Awesome. So like this really huge for the people at in the Europe who can go to UK, it's quick, mm-hmm. like, I remember Gora, his name is Gora on Discord, he was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I spent like 30 bucks for a flight to the U- like to London, like to, to the UK, <laughs> yeah. and, like, and it's an hour flight, I'm like, that's ridiculous, 
you know over here we have to pay like 300 for two hour flights um mm -hmm. so um it's really cool you can get your trip paid for you can fly over from the uk or wherever you're on europe attend this event and perhaps even you know you know do really well and i think that's really cool for games workshop doing that i think it's really exciting it's a level of support i didn't think we'd see at least not yet and mm -hmm. uh i'm again it's very pleasant. And so I think although there are some impurities with the system, I think their heart and the idea of it's in the right place and it'll only get better. Right. Like I, I, oh, really, yeah. want, I really dislike the fact that some people are just dismissing the event completely and saying that, oh, this event is irrelevant. It's not. Um, if you're unable to go, that's unfortunate, especially if you deserve to be there. But like, don't take it away from other people. That's my biggest I guess issue with it is like we're supposed to be a positive community and we always say that Underworlds is the best community ever, right? When it comes to Games Workshop games at the least. <laughs> don't make it toxic and don't hate on people just because they have an opportunity to go play and you don't. Um, I know it's easy for me to yeah. say that because I live in the US, but I think if the event was in the UK, like I know for a fact that Jonathan and I would travel. Yeah, I mean, we may also, I mean, yeah, it's a complicated issue for sure. Right. Um, I, mean, I just I can, had to say my piece on it. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I definitely understand that. I think that uh, you kind of just have to accept the situation and try to move forward positively. But yeah, um, I love that Games Workshop is doing it. Like, I think it's amazing that they're having like a big final and that they're flying people out uh, to go to it. I mean, obviously, I think like you know, ideally anyone that qualified would, should be able to go, but obviously Games Workshop can't pay for everybody to go. So it's, it's just incredible that um, they've, you know, done the top four or not top four, but you know, the four winners of their big events. Um, I don't think they've ever done anything like that, at least not in the recent history of that. They're you know going to fly people out to their competitive event. So yeah. if this is the first step and it's only going to get better in the future, then I'm very excited. Agreed. Great way to yeah. put that, actually. Yeah. Um, but let's move on. So then we have the release of the Grimwatch. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, <laughs> this is another warband that has, like, mixed feelings. Um, obviously, we all know that they have really, really strong cards. Very interesting expire condition. And their abilities are all quite fascinating as well. One of the few warbands to have... I think only warband to have Cleave and Ensnare in the warband. Um what are your thoughts on the Grimwatch, and why do you think they were met with such decisiveness from the community? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think they're obviously good. Um, I think it seems like they're over... Maybe some of the cards are too good. Um, they they certainly probably could build one of the better, mostly faction decks. Um, they take a lot of faction cards in their decks. Um, and then I think maybe most notably, they force the other player to play in a particular way, usually they need to stop the Inspire. Um, because when they do Inspire, they have some incredible um, benefits. Um, so I think they're a very interesting warband in that respect. Um, I don't really like how they force the other player to uh, behave in a certain way because I feel like it can skew the meta. Um, if everybody, sort of similar to what we were talking about with Molag, where everyone has to tech to kill Molag, um, I feel like most people have to tech to stop the Grimwatch Inspire. 
um, or at least be prepared for that situation. Um, and I feel like it maybe felt like it could be a little bit too oppressive um, and maybe could limit uh, certain play styles. Um, but uh, I'm not really sure if that uh, ended up being the case so far. I guess we'll just have to see. We've really well, only had the one event. Two of the biggest culprits, right, were In the Name of the King and Shifting Madness. Yeah, yeah, they're great cards. So, like, the fact that you can score objective cards at the end of an activation mm-hmm. um, was kind of something we hadn't seen before. I mean, we saw the spoilers, solid card, but, like, not in a warband that's so strong. I mean, like, Grimwatch are a powerful warband in that their fighters all do crazy things when they're inspired. Not crazy, but some every single fighter does something different when they inspire. Um, <laughs> yeah. They have Cleave and Ensnare. They have amazing faction cards and their leaders like nuts uh, i yeah. mean and i think actually wild hunt have cleave and ensnare because they have shiok and that's right that's right uh, so but they're a little bit I mean, we can talk about the differences there but yeah it's a little bit of a different situation because they're limited by their charge and their inspire in that first round so. exactly and uh, like if you're playing a passive warband and you fight grimwatch you have to you have to go in. Right? <laughs> I so it just yeah. is a bunch of conundrums that you you have to face. Um, and then we have the first event, which yeah. is uh, LVO. No, not LVO. Sorry, uh, the SoCal Open, mm-hmm. um, which is a smaller event. But we have like after day one, Greg Grimwatch is dominating the meta, like the the tournament. Um, yeah, their format was interesting. They Basically just did two. I, th- I think they had about 16 players, 15 players. Right. Um, I think they basically just ran two separate events. Like the first day didn't really matter except for your placing because th- everybody made the cut, which is really strange. Um, Grimwatch, I think you would say, won the first day. And then uh, I think Lady Harrow's won the second. Yeah. So the final was Grimwatch and Harrow's. Right. And uh, um, I was really curious to reach out to the Grimwatch player, and I was like, yo, how did Harrow's get you? Like, you were dominating day one. And he was like, you know, it comes down to just, uh, um, you know, who plays better on the day. And so in that game, I didn't play my best, and um, some yeah. key dice rolls went my opponent's way. Very kind, very respectful for his opponent. But we got to see a glimpse of his power for Grimwatch, right? Like, mm-hmm. very strong consistently kind of doing well throughout this whole event. And then we have the Warhammer World October Grand Clash. And I think they actually happened, like, at the same time. Did they? they? I think they were on the same weekend, yeah. Yeah, okay, even better. So simultaneously we have this Warhammer World October Grand Clash happening over in the UK. And uh, I think second largest Underworlds event we've ever seen. Um, 134 players. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And um, over here, it's kind of a doozy. It's like a bunch of Thorns and Grimwatch, right? Um, two strong warbands. I think the nature of Beastgrave have shifted the meta towards capturing objectives. And if you don't care about capturing objectives, you still want to fight over them for mm-hmm. you know to use some powerful cards or even because you don't want your opponent to get these objectives. And so Thorns are doing really well, too, because of now the lethal placement. Um, because they're immune to lethals, um, it's kind of like a an innate advantage they're getting. And so mm-hmm. we see 
you know, we're rooting for our friends who are at the event. Uh, wonderful casting by Nick Baton and John Reese. And then we have Michael Carlin, who's playing Grimwatch. And uh, loses on day one, but man, uh, one game, but manages to get into the top uh, for day two, top 16. And then goes on to win the entire event. Yeah. Uh, and actually plays into his worst matchup in the final and ends up taking the event. Um, had to end the game... Call it a little early in their game three, but still a very impressive performance. And you get to see why Grimwatch are so strong. In a big event, they just showed up. Perhaps that had maybe have something to do with it. And they kind of not dominate, but they do they do really well. And it's if you look if you go to Steel City Underworlds and you read his uh, descriptions or if you had played with him prior to the event, um he literally said that I'm able to do whatever I want. I can go aggro and kill you, or if you're trying to kill me, I can stall you out and score passively. And, and, and that's what I think is so powerful with the Grimwatch, is that you can do that. Um, and you yeah. know, shout out to Phil Kelly for playing wonderful uh, game as Thorns, but uh, um, try and fixing Sarah gotcha. <laughs> yeah, that was just very cool to. Uh... That he was there and uh, playing kind of a Warhammer legend. Yeah, super cool. Um, so, you know, we're a big fan of Carlin. He's a friend to us personally and to the podcast. He's our first guest who's been on here twice, I think. Um, so yeah, I think we, so. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah absolutely. And so uh, we finally get to see the power of Grimwatch. And, and after that final, it was viewed by a lot of people. Thorns and Grimwatch start dominating this meta, right? Um, mm-hmm. And you personally said earlier that Far Clavis push is amazing. I mean, you know, we both agree best action economy in the game. And then we have Snarlfangs drop with the gift set. Yeah. Um, so before we get into the specific cards, let's talk about the gift set just a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Lots of, I guess challenge with the gift set release <laughs> namely because of a single card that was released in it why do you think that happened and, and what were your personal opinions on the gift pack um so my personal opinion on the gift pack and sort of all the blowback around it is i think that they had good intentions uh, but made a bit of a miscalculation um which you know will happen i, I believe their intention was to come out with a set of cards, um, a play mat, some cool activation token or round tokens, um, and then a lot of cards to help people out because um, Beastgrave notably did not have an Echoes of Glory equivalent. So currently we're actually about, uh, without the gift pack, we would be about 60 cards behind uh, where Nightfall was at the beginning of the uh, season. So I think it's actually important that they give players a boost Um and then I actually like the mat. I used it uh, just the other day. Um, I think it's great. I think the activation, uh, the round counters are cool. Um, I use those. Um, and then some of the cards in there are cool. So um, I think that the idea behind it is great. If I was a new player or I was recommending product to a new player, I would say that they should get the gift pa- uh, pack because it's good. Um, I think the miscalculation, um, in my opinion, was I don't think there was any reason to, re- to re-release old cards um, and I definitely would not have packaged it in something that existing players would feel like they had to buy. 
but that half of their purchase was buying cards that they already had. Um, I can only imagine that Games Workshop didn't think that that's how people would feel. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, I think that is how a lot of people felt. Um, it's also kind of expensive, uh, I felt like. $35 or so for that uh, that pack. Um, I think a lot of people didn't like that. Um, I don't really think about it like that way. I kind of assume that I'm going to spend, you know, X amount a year on this pro- this hobby. Um, and I've sort of already accepted that. But if you just look at that individual product, it, it does seem like it's a little bit expensive for what you get. Um, so I yeah. think it was a, I think it was a number of those. Uh, I think issues. those are great, great reasons. Um, yeah, I think the biggest challenge for most people was, OK, cool, you're reprinting these cards, but you say I can use my old cards. But then you put eight new cards in here. And right. like some of them are really good, like Jealous Defense, mm-hmm. Guardian Glaive, like amazing cards. Um, and I'm kind of a collector. I, I sort of want it all anyway. Yes, exactly. And so for me, I, I yeah. kind of approach it in the same view as you or in the same vein where I'm like, it's my hobby. I'm going to spend money on this anyways. Um, it'll be nice to use the same cards but have different art. Um, I got tired of looking at the same cards over and over again. Um, but also because like the mat was cool, the tokens are cool. I might not use it, but I want it. You know, um, I guess I'm the Quinn, the Games Workshop. They got me. They brainwashed. Me. <laughs> I buy all their stuff. Right. Um, but but then when we come to, you know, like like a lot of players I know, um, they are obviously very as they should be conscientious with their funds and their purchases, and right. um, they. Like, I'll see a lot of people online be like, I want to buy one warband. Which warband do I buy? I have these three warbands. Um, obviously, from a competitive perspective, you want to have everything. But um, if you are being smart with your purchases um, or limiting your purchases, then I think, yeah, it's, it's really hard to justify that. Um, I think mats are cool. Mm-hmm. Those round counters are awesome. But in theory... If you have all those cards, it doesn't make sense to spend, you said, 30, 30 bucks, 35 bucks for eight cards. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and I agree. Um, I agree with that. Um, from a meta perspective, I was a little disappointed to see um, some of those cards come back. Yeah. Um, well, we all know everyone was really upset about Rebound. Sure, yeah. I, I actually feel more strongly about Distraction and Spectral Wings. Yeah. Um, because I felt like those cards are so obviously good at what they do um, that having them out of the meta up until that point was really interesting because you had to take other cards that maybe weren't as effective or maybe you had to use them in a little bit of a different way. Like I was using Center of Attention instead of Distraction. Um, I was using Desperate Flight instead of Spectral Wings. Um well, even and, let's look at tracking, right? Like tracking is, a, is sure. a great example of a card where it's like plus one move if you're a hunter plus two. Benefit for a hunter. But like mm-hmm. anyone can use it, but it's not as strong as Spectral Wings. And we have both these cards released on the same day. And it's like, well, if I have to pick between the two, then we all know I'm going to go with Spectral Wings, right? <laughs> right. And as, you know, obviously I like, I mean, Distraction is an amazing card. Um, but it's just, you know, we've had it in all of Nightfall. And now we're going to have it in all of Beast Grave. And it's just it's just so obvious at what it does that my preference would have been for them to have come out with something that does a similar job if they felt like, you know, distraction was needed for the meta. 
um, but did it in a different way or a more interesting way just to sort of mix up um, what the like sort of like mix up the deck building process. But that's more of just a, a little bit of a critique that I would have from a like a deck building and a meta perspective. Um, rebound coming back, I think, was just kind of interesting because you would have thought that they knew everyone hated that card. um (laughs) like i think if you had asked the community in general what is the one card that people don't like i think it would be that one so that was really just kind of peculiar to me um i i don't mind it like from a meta or a competitive standpoint but it feels terrible (laughs) when you play it and when it works or when it fails or when it you the other player plays it it just it it takes the some of the fun aspect of the game uh i think it makes i think its existence makes the game less fun uh but maybe you know i think other people feel differently as well so yeah i mean there are some people who really enjoy rebound and we're disappointed that it's a big swing and i think if you find that fun i could see that yeah i personally i don't and most people we know and the community at large doesn't um it's really interesting right because like we all acknowledge that the gift idea, they meant well with it, the gift pack. Yeah, yeah. It just, maybe the execution was a lackluster. And then again, you know, we've heard numerous times through Games Workshop employees and non-Games Workshop employees about these lead times. So yeah, um, we, don't know how, we don't know how accurate these lead times are, but, you know, if there's a lead time, let's just even say like six months, right? Like, yeah. So what people don't realize is that you have to curate with a plan, you have to get it approved by whomever approves products. Then mm-hmm. you have to like design the product, tell people what's in it. Then you have to get art commissioned. Uh, you have to create new cards as well before that. Then you have mm-hmm. to get it packaged and produced and then shipped so that when they say it's available, it's available everywhere. And like at the very least, I'm thinking maybe that's six months. I don't know. I'm not well, in logistics, so... And this is actually the exact same issue that happened with Power Unbound. Uh, I mean, I I would imagine we could assume that when they made those cards, they didn't know how good Curse Breakers were. You could assume that, yeah, absolutely. And I I would think that that's a pretty sound assumption. They certainly wouldn't have had the data that we had at at the time. Yeah. And so I see a lot of comments where people are like, do Games Workshop not know what they're doing? But it's like, I mean, (laughs) you try creating a game and then make sure everything's printed and ready to go by a certain due date. Oh, by the way, the meta shifts and strategies <laughs> unfold, and oh, it's too yeah. late, these cards are already in production. So yeah. I just really want everyone to be conscientious of that, um, because I do think that it's a fantastic game, and I think that's why we all get so mad sometimes, because we're so passionate, we love it so much. But just yeah. keep in mind that you know it's also a business for some people, it's their livelihood, and um, <laughs> we have to like be kind of careful of how we perceive some things but enough of that <laughs> well and to, and, and to oh, their ahead. credit they've fixed every single issue that's come up agreed 100%. usually pretty quickly yeah um like i wasn't there for season one but they fixed the relics as soon as people decided that that wasn't fun you know they discovered it and they, it just wasn't that fun they fixed the magic spam um the banded restricted lists have been great although i think my only critique there would be a lot of them could have happened a lot sooner Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think that's the biggest challenge with me is that I love when they come out. I think they need to come out mm-hmm. more often and more consistently. Like if there was a schedule that was announced, 
like we're only going to do it three or four or five times a year. But these are the days we're going to do it. Then we can all look forward to that day. Um, yeah, that's true. I, and I mean, I, anytime we get a new card pool, I actually think it would be better to ban and restrict sooner than later, as long as they're, but I guess the flip side of that is you want them to make sure that they're doing the right cards. Um, we also want people to play with all the cards they just bought, right? That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I can see so. why they might delay it, but I would like more structure. But anyways, not particularly. <laughs> I think they've done up. a great job um, yeah. ever since. I think the only time I think they could have done it faster was um, when Molog the came long out. The Longstrider. Total Offerings. Total Offerings. Yeah. On. That yeah. one, I think, took much too long. Agreed. But other than that, like I, I don't really have any complaints. So I'm looking forward to uh, just that continuing into the new season. Yeah. So let's move on now. Um, Snarlfangs. So Snarlfangs came out. Um, yeah. What you know, like, so initially, like, there was a lot of hype around their cards. They have some very strong faction cards, um, and we feel like. Uh, you know, for the most part, they do pretty well against Horde Warbands. I mean, you mm-hmm. release a uh, analysis on Well of Power where they are actually one of the best Warbands pound for pound to take out two wound fighters or less. Um, yeah, especially with Ripa. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would run Pit Trap and Ensnare. That helps a lot. Um, lethals sure. are around. Placing a, I mean, we've talked about this before. Putting a Lethal Hex in a good spot is massive Paramount. Yeah. yeah um uh, so I, I think they're a really cool warband i think it's uh really cool that they came out when they did because they're really something that i think uh you know thorns and gets and uh any objective warband has to consider um i i've been putting a lot more damage in my decks um i think it's good that sting of the urgrub came out with them mm-hmm. um i think sometimes you you have to be prepared to kill um, all three of them, probably. They have some really good cards. If you don't kill them all, they might be able to outscore you. Um, so I, I think it's great. I, I, I think they're cool. I don't think they're broken. Like I don't think they're extremely overpowered, but I think they have a high skill ceiling, so a good player can definitely take them the distance. Yeah, right on. And it's fortuitous that they came out when they did because they're almost like a natural counter to Thorns and Grimwatch. Mm-hmm. Um you know, granted, a lot of things need to happen on the day between the two games, <laughs> but overall, you know, we have a warband that's really good at taking out two wound fighters, and then you have two of the best warbands in the game right now, if not the top two warbands in the game right now, who have a bunch of uh, two wound fighters. So yeah. it's really, really interesting to see that matchup, and I'm looking forward to the competitive season. It's about to kick off around the corner, and we're going to see, you know, what those look like. But for me personally, I think the current meta is is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of people try to experiment. I think a lot of warbands are viable. Um, but as in every meta that we've ever gone through, there are obviously warbands at the top. Like, you know, we just mentioned Thorns and Grimwatch. Mm-hmm. And then probably some warbands that can counter them really well. But then, you know, we're in this, like, weird meta where you know, score immediates are really important. And especially when they have to do with objectives. And I feel like we're overdue for a bar list. Um, 
and we haven't received one yet. I think they're far list now, Forsaken and Restricted. But uh, um, yeah, I'm really I don't know. Like I'm really hoping that they target some of this oppressive play style. I, I don't really know what cards that I would target aside from a couple obvious ones. But yeah. you know, like what do you think? Like, do you think the meta is great right now? Like, do you think Grimwatch and Thorms are not oppressive? Because I think they are a little bit. Um, I think they are a little bit. Um, I would say I would give Thorns, Grimwatch, um, probably Curse Breakers. I think those might be the top three in my mind. Um, I might give them a 55, 60% win rate against, you know, a lot of other matchups. Interestingly, I think Thorns beat Grimwatch. Um, Grimwatch might beat Curse Breakers. Um, I think that... Uh, so I, to me, it's interesting enough. Like at the top, it's it's interesting, and then I think you can make a deck. Like I think you can make a Wild Hunt deck or a um, Profiteer's deck, probably even a Magor's deck. Um, I think you can make decks that specifically counter Thorns and Grimwatch, and I think you can give them like a really hard time. Uh, Mischievous Spirits is back, and I know I said I didn't like cards coming back, but that one is a really big pain in the uh, pain for those guys. And um, Restless Prize is just as good against those uh, objective warbands. So, I mean, I think I would say Thorns are objectively, like, the best warband right now. Um, But I think that a lot of other warbands have play. I actually think this might be um, the point in the game when the most warbands have felt like they're viable. Um, I think Chosen Axes are the best that they've ever been right now. Um, a lot of people uh, online and stuff have having, been having success with them. Um, orcs have pro- probably the best they've ever been uh, as well. And yeah, I was going to say, Iron Skull's boys are, yeah. <laughs> are winning locals now. <laughs> it's really exciting, really. Um, it's cool how just the you know the changes that come with the new season can um, sort of you know make new things viable. And then also just with the card cycling and the the pool changing, I've been way more interested in trying the older warbands in the new styles, like having a lot of fun with Skaven. Um, I've been playing, so I've been playing the, the spoilers recently because they're new and um, mess around with some far striders. And, you know, some things aren't as good as they used to be, but there's always something that is, you know, worth exploring. And so, uh, I mean, I think there could be a banned restricted list. I think there are a few obvious offenders, um temporary victory is of course like incredible um and well worth a restricted slot (laughs) some people some people think it's too good and they should just ban it um i don't know what i think about that i'm I'm not sure um i want to see it it's kind of hard right because of in the name of the king i I think honestly for it's it's just that like for a couple war bands it's almost trivial um like uh thorns and gets if they have it in their first hand, they're very likely to score it almost Same from their with first Sepulchre action. Garden. Yeah, yeah. And then most of the warbands that take it are going to take a fair number of pushes. So, you know, it's very possible that they'll go second, uh, or if they end up going first, then on their second activation, they'll score it. Right. Um, and I don't think... It's, inter- it's one of those interesting things, because from a balance perspective, I don't know that it's um, really that big of an issue... But from a fun perspective, it just feels silly. Uh, yeah, it does. Me. 
when I, I activate, I'm on three objectives, I score two glory. Yay! And then there'll be other games where I don't draw it until the very last turn, and then it's it's annoying. Um, so, and, and that's kind of how the score immediately um, objective stuff sort of feels to me. Like, when you start the round and then, like, draw a card and score temporary victory because you were on three objectives or swift capture or, um, like, the opponent will go and you're still on two objectives so you get swift capture or um, shifting madness. It just feels weird. Um, it feels... Uh, I'm not really sure how to describe it. It just feels wonky and kind of gamey. Um but I don't think it's like a balance issue. It's just kind of the new interesting uh, effect that the score immediately positioning objectives have. Right. Um, so it's it's different. Um, I, I would like to see temporary victory restricted, though, for sure. Um, I think right now one of the reasons that thorns are so good is that they can they basically don't need any restricted objectives because they can't take calculated risk. Um, and so they take a bunch of restricted upgrades yeah. and, maybe, and maybe ploys, and then well, they take the all of the most common are Spirit Bond, Sudden Growth, Tunnel of Offering. Right, right. Yeah, yeah so. but then they, and then there's also a number of unrestricted uh, cards that are really good, like Eldritch Ward is pretty good for the Queen. Um, Survival Instincts is an incredible card. Yeah, that card they is They take that one as well. Um, and then they get to take all of the good objective cards and um you know all the i mean I, I think you could even try to fit like a pit trap in there if you wanted to like it's it's pretty free pretty open on what you could do um but i just feel like that's because we haven't had an update yet so right um I, and you know usually they'll wait um a little while make sure they're making the right decision and i don't think you can blame them for that either so. sure yeah so in terms of the meta uh, thorn's really good grimwatch really good Curse yeah. probably somewhere far not far behind, and then everything else is playable. But you know there are some matchups you need to worry about, and that's kind of been the um, I guess the history of Underworlds in 2019. Um, fairly lengthy, a lot of huge changes. <laughs> it's kind of crazy how the game is like just transformed so much over the last year, um, and it's really interesting to see that there are some. Warbands like the Curse Breakers who have just stayed at the top for so long. But then you'll see a warband like Magoras who are like really strong and then they're not so strong and now they're somewhere in the middle. Or like Thorns who are like kind of middle of the pack, maybe upper middle of the pack, and now they're at the top. Mm -hmm. So it's really cool to watch these warbands grow and kind of fit and meet their niches. Um, but I guess if I had to ask you what do you think? So two questions, uh, and because we're getting really long, let's not get real lengthy. Just give me the <laughs> sure. warband name. Um, in your opinion, who do you think is the strongest warband from Nightvolt? Uh, I think Profiteers. Okay. What is your favorite warband from Nightvolt? Um, Godsworn. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. So for me, I think the strongest is Curse Breakers. I mm -hmm. think they've always been at the top. Uh, but my favorite, Profiteers, for sure. Uh, cool. So really cool stuff there. Um, we've also had a recent announcement about Hrothgorn's Man Trappers. 
So yeah, if that just came out yesterday. With those guys. Yeah, preview came out yesterday. We've got a giant ogre with like a trap launcher. Mm-hmm. We've got his trusty pet saber tooth, and we've got what three knoblars? Well, there's four, <laughs> but one is sitting on the other person's shoulder with a giant axe. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's really ridiculous. cool. Yeah. I also noticed that there was like a model that's like, like one of the models looks like he's like placing something, and then the other, like there's another base with a trap on it. Yeah, he has like one of them has like parts of the traps, I guess. Yeah, and then there's another guy just like using the ogre's crossbow. It's like a spear, <laughs> yeah. or a crossbow bolt. Excuse me. Yeah, it's fantastic. Model is yeah. beautiful. Um, that tiger is thick. <laughs> I don't know if you saw him. Yeah, but he he is. is a thick, thick he's a saber big, tooth. He's a big boy. <laughs> he's thick with three C's. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. <laughs> cannot wait to build and paint that thickness. Um, uh, yeah, they look great. Like the models are cool. incredible. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping it's not another like Molog situation. I think obviously you'll have to take damage to kill right. him, but um, it's cool that he has so many little guys around him because you could probably just get glory off that. So I'm not I'm not too worried. And yeah, then the I'm current meta Molog isn't like uh, as bad as he used to be. So I do like the idea of a ranged Molog, um, but not yeah. necessarily as um, I don't know, oppressive. That's action efficient. <laughs> <laughs> or action efficient. Yeah. Uh, I did like the idea of the trap that he's being placed. So hopefully there'll be some cool, like, you know, maybe you're yeah. shooting traps or you're placing traps. So you're creating lethals. I don't know. I think it'd be really like neat. Just a lag squig situation. Kind of. Yeah. That'd be really cool. Yeah. Um, honestly, though, I'm just really excited for that thickness. <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> we learned a, something a, new about you today <laughs> that's a big boy can you not see he's he's, he's, a, he's massive i didn't realize they were that big um <laughs> move out of the other way grawl <laughs> the new grawl, uh rip to legain wasn't even in the conversation that guy's just <laughs> trash grawl, sorry for any legain fans out there but that guy is trash like, <laughs> I, I actually long, he should have been at least double his size I actually had a game the other day where Legain made an attack on two swords and won the game for the other player. <laughs> but that's a, a that's aside. I actually played against a game where Legain I was playing against a wild hunt player, and Legain was the only fighter that made an attack. <laughs> um, He's a good kitty sometimes. <laughs> yeah, nah. No. Grawl's blind, which clearly is <laughs> running into lethals. Yeah. Um, Get in there. Dude, Riptooth was the OG, but I don't know, man. Sir Thicks a lot might mess with him a little bit. <laughs> so we'll see. Only time will tell. Only time will tell. I really hope the ogre is balanced but fun. Obviously, we need to feel the weightiness of a giant man-eating ogre uh, yeah. punch things. It looks like he's got some hunter tools on his belt, so that'll be really interesting. Um, again, that crossbow looks really cool. I'm excited to see what it'll do to the meta, because if he's popular, um, it might shift things away from objectives. So Yeah, that'd be really neat, actually. Yeah, I'm excited for that. Um, I hope he doesn't have too many wounds. Um, (laughs) He's not a Trogoth, so I don't know, seven seemed a bit excessive. Um, we don't have ready for action anymore either. So at the very least, he's going to tank one, like, you know, Moloch can still tank up 
like at the bare minimum two hits. I don't think anyone's hitting for six unless you're uh, running chosen axes. Um, and you do that one card where you roll a crit. <laughs> well, that could it. be eight. <laughs> yeah, that's nuts. Yeah. I've seen it happen too. It's hilarious. Um, yeah. But yeah, he looks we'll good. So. Yeah. Really excited. Good. I'm really curious to see what the next warband will be. Um, we've got three warbands. Yeah. At least we can assume from the card art. We've got uh, some witch elves. We've got it looks like some Nurgle people uh, and and Scrum. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, we've been seeing some orcs as well. So hopefully we'll get one of those three. If you had to pick Jonathan, which one would you like to see alongside the Man Trappers if they do two warbands at a time? Or right, right. Like yeah, because I because I think they've. I think they mentioned at some point that uh, Ripa's was delayed, so we might get two again this time. Maybe. Um, I think I remember reading that somewhere. Yeah, I think maybe they said it on the Warhammer stream. Um, but yeah, if I had to pick another one, I think I would want uh, maybe the orcs, just because it'd be cool to see another orc. Uh, I feel like we're getting a lot of destruction warbands. I don't know if anyone's into the lore, but like they're uh, yeah. realm of beasts. But, like, we went from, like, every warband is order and chaos to, like, you know, yeah, we had, yeah. we've got uh, ogres, we've got snarlfangs, and then we've got orcs coming as well. It's exciting. Um, personally, I like to see some witch elves. Mm, yeah. We've got some thickness coming. Let's <laughs> see some pretty girls coming as well, you know? Let's see, man. I don't know. Um, but witch elves are beautiful models, very dynamic. Yeah, and, um, I like the snake ones, the the Medusa cool. or whatever. Yeah, I really like the ones with bats. I think they're called Chimera. I don't know. With I'm not wings. really a Age of Sigmar player, but um, yeah, hopefully yeah. it's like a combination of that. Um, but anyways, let's move on. Hrothcon's Man Trappers coming out soon, <laughs> and uh, obviously there'll be a review on Hexes and Warbands and Path to Glory as well. So stay tuned for that. Um, so. Jonathan, looks like we've got some questions we're going to ask one another. So I guess we'll yeah. take turns. I'll ask you one. We both answer it. You ask me. We'll both answer it. Sure. So first question. Jonathan Davis. <laughs> what was your favorite overall moment of the 2019 Underworlds year? Um, I think for me, it was probably going to Nova um, and just getting to meet everybody and have that experience um i think it was definitely that yeah yeah that's a it's a great one it's definitely one of my top three i think my favorite moment for me um it's really hard actually to pin a moment um there's so many like beautiful moments so, so many amazing moments um you know what actually I, I did think of one uh atc final playing against duncan bill's monologue need double crit to win the game roll double crit yeah yeah that's big <laughs> that was huge like crazy moment lots of energy in the room people were like cheering yelling um i was shook like i just throw i rolled the <laughs> dice like i didn't even look at the dice tray and then like everyone's just stunned silent staring i look at duncan's face his like face is like jaw hanging i look down the dice i'm like holy crap i just rolled double <laughs> crits um that's awesome yeah a close second that was probably winning ATC. That was huge. 
Yeah, I mean, it was a great year. So yeah. Great year um, for us. Great year competitive-wise. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, next question is, what are you looking forward to the most in 2020? Underworlds-wise, right? Yeah, yeah, Underworlds. Yeah. Um, honestly, man, just going to more events. I think I just, like, as you mentioned, I really love going to events, hanging out with people. Um, yeah. I would say probably... The one thing I'm looking forward to the most is probably Masters, just because I know some yeah. people are flying in from the UK, um, and at the very least, it's going to be a lot of alcohol drink, dr- dr- or drinking. <laughs> a lot of alcohol will be dr- consumed. Will be consumed. <laughs> Thank you, my English major friend. And um, right. um, it'll be nice to just hang out with people and, and play some top-notch best underworlds in the world it'll be fun yeah i think uh i think that would probably be mine as well um <clears throat> just going to all the events and seeing everybody again and meeting new people and all that um <clears throat> if i had to pick a second one it's probably just gonna be looking forward to um all the cool content creation that'll probably happen this year um the mm-hmm. last year has been great there's been a lot of new content creators coming out with great stuff um and uh, I'm just excited to see all of that. Yeah, it almost seems like we're in a renaissance of content. Like, yeah. Kind of went from like two to three blogs in one podcast to like eight different blogs, five different resource sites, and like six different podcasts. So really yeah. cool stuff. And there's more and more popping up. I mean, YouTube's getting big. Um, uh, yeah, it's next really I guess kind of similar um, do you have any competitive goals for 2020? Um, yeah, I guess um, I guess my competitive because you know this this podcast we try to focus on competitive goals, personal growth, and community. Um, competitively, I guess I would like to win Masters. Um, Oof, that seems like throwing a, down the gauntlet. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if they're going to have a Grand Clash at Nova as well. Um, I I guess I assume they might. Um, but I guess, uh, I guess you have to defend the title, right? But, (laughs) and then, uh, so that would be, I mean, that would be a, uh, that would probably be the best competitively thing that could happen. Um, I think almost more than that, my goals in the next year, um, are going to be try to get my local community, um, more involved and Mm -hmm. bigger. Um, I'd like to focus on that. Uh, I feel like a lot of, I've done a lot, um, to help the wider community, um, you know, and uh, I think I want to try to focus uh, a little bit at home, like do more local events, um, maybe try to get a local skirmish, um, that kind of stuff. Cool. What about you? you? Have any goals for the upcoming year? Yeah, yeah. Um, from a competitive perspective, um, so my goal moving forward now is try to win one Grand Clash every season. Mm, yeah. So just uh, I'm gonna try to do that for Beast Grave. Um, it's probably a better way to put what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do want to defend our title at ATC. You, me, and Davey. Um, yeah. I want us to go back there. Hopefully it's bigger, and uh, we just win. Sure. Uh, yeah. And I'd like to do top four at Masters. Yeah, um, I, I like yours better. I think that I think that's more realistic. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't think I expect to win 
Masters. It would be cool to win Nova again if that's a different thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, I'd, I'd love to go back to Dallas and, uh, you know, obviously yeah. Uh, yeah, win that again. But um, my goal is just to win one. Um, yeah, I like that. Yeah. And then I think I would echo your attempts at a growing a community. I think you've been very more successful than I have. Austin's really weird. Uh, <laughs> no pun intended because, you know, keep Austin weird. But um, <laughs> uh, it's it's really interesting because there are a lot of people who love casually playing the game, but there are even less people inclined to competitively play. And out of those people who do competitively play, even less are inclined to meet up. Like I was meeting up one guy every Tuesday and then like our schedules just conflicted and then just stopped mm-hmm. happening. Right. Um, and then there was another guy, his name was Alaric or Alaric. We like met up, like taught him how to play, brought him up to speed, like pretty intense, like every night <laughs> for a week, like we were meeting up two, three hours because uh, he was going to go to Dallas GT or GC and he just didn't show up. Oh, so it's like okay. really interested as to, you know, what probably uh, like how we can grow our community. I know that some people are really excited with Beast Grave and they're hopping back in. And I hope that it's not just shiny new toy syndrome and rather, you know, I have an extended interest in this game and I want to play it for more than just, you know, a couple weeks and then get bored of it. Yeah, yeah, because really the more that I play it, um, I mean, it's an excellent game, but it's kind of the people that make the game. Exactly. And the time that like that you spend having fun with other people um, enjoying the same hobby. So um, <clears throat> I think between going to events and then trying to grow the local community, uh, I think that's, you know, that'll be what will make this year a really good one. I agreed. And I really think from a podcast and content perspective, like I'd love to continue to pump out quality content. I'd like, you know, we've talked about this. I'd like this to get more on a schedule. Um, I'm mm-hmm. just as big a culprit as you are when it comes to that. <laughs> yeah. So I think we can both hold each other accountable. I think that'd be awesome. And then, um, you know, slow down on hexes. Uh, I don't really have an excuse. I've made a lot of excuses. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll be trying to pump out an article a week. Um, so we'll see how that works. Um, there are some conversations taking place right now, so it might drastically impact the way Hexus looks in the future, but uh, not ready to talk about that yet, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah, I know that for me, um, I've been working on Well of Power. I uh, recently made some improvements on it, uh, making some of the pages load faster and it's easier to navigate and stuff. So I'll probably just keep pushing ahead with that as well. Um, and I think... Something that we, you know, talk about is growing as a player. Um, I feel like we've been doing a lot of that in the last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think for me, uh, my biggest goal is going to be to play faster and reduce, like, my decision time. So <clears throat> I think those are what I'm going to work on, which uh, it's probably a lot. <laughs> but we'll see what happens as the year goes on. You might as well make the re- resolutions, you know. Yeah. No, definitely for me. Um, mine would be, like, more patience. Mm. Um, sometimes when people play very slow, I get a little bit impatient and it like affects my gameplay negatively. So for me, it's just taking a deep breath, hanging out. Like I remember Tony Field was like, bro, you haven't smiled in three hours at the last grand clash. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, man, I just really don't want, I just really want to win this one. He's like, yeah, but make sure you're having fun. So for me, it's like just being more patient, like taking it day by day or moment by moment. 
and just making sure that I'm being the best version of myself because I would never, ever want to have a negative experience with somebody. And eventually everyone has one and they're unavoidable, but I'd like it, like, I'd like to minimize that as possible as like as much as I can. So, so far so good, but I'm aware of it and I am working on it. So hopefully um, I can continue the positive trend. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, I think we can move to the last segment, which is listener questions. We'll try yeah. to, speed through this as much as possible i think absolutely let's try to burn through these <laughs> we're already at the two hour mark so um yeah first question from uh Jer- jared from the battle mallet um which of the three topics for the podcast going forward in 2020 uh, and then he lists them competitive gaming player development and community growth are you most excited to talk about as individuals and as a podcast so jonathan individual which one uh, individually, I think it's going to be community growth. Um, awesome. I would love to increase the number of uh, excited and uh, interested players that uh, I have locally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, um, it's kind of easy competitive gaming. Um, it's like my bread and butter. I love it. I'm probably going to go to as many events as I did last year. And yeah. furthermore, um, as much as I would love to focus on growing the community, I've also realized that there's only so much effort you can put in and you have to kind of like share the load. So mm-hmm. as more and more people get into it, I'd love to share the progress. But at this time, you know, you can only offer to show up so much and run as many events as you can uh, before you right. get frustrated. Right. So. And and you play a lot in the Houston um, community, although you live in Austin. So it's kind of hard for you to sometimes do anything other than show up. True. Uh, but I've helped so, build that community as well. Right. Like oh, I got, of course. I got every store to be on a schedule. So everyone yeah. knows that third week of this of the month, this tournament is having this this store is having a tournament. And then right, every right. three months they'll have glass. Um, yeah. Yeah. It just may need to be someone that's more local um, in Houston yeah. to sort of take uh, that mantle, I guess. So. Yeah, for Austin. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um Cool. And then I think for the podcast, I think for me, I'd like to um, sort of do a combination of I mean, really, we want to do all three, but um, again, with the community growth, I think it would be cool to do more with the Discord, um, maybe have some kind of events, um, things like that. I'm also excited for the online game, um, so I'll be interested to see um, if people want content on that, and so we'll we'll just keep sort of exploring the format, I think. Yeah, and for me, from a podcast perspective... Um, I guess because I'm super competitive in nature, <laughs> I'd like us to be the best. Um, I know that's really hard to say. We've got some really, really stiff competition um, <laughs> when it comes to some of our, uh, you know, friends out there. Um, what the hacks? Battle for Salvation, um, Battle Mallet, Ready for Action, uh, and now Chat and Crit. But um, for me, you know, it's something that I'd like to strive towards. Uh, it may not never ha- It may never happen. But again. It's something that I'd like for us to do, uh, put a lot of effort into. Uh, I echo the sentiments on the Discord. And then if I had to pick one of the three, I think we can do better at player development as well. Um, and yeah, just I think so. How you can be a better player. Um, yeah, I think that's something we can uh, try to have more episodes about. I think we've had a couple um, this year, and uh, I'm excited for more. Yeah, you want to go ahead and read the next question? Yeah, this is by uh, Brizzy Beast. Um, he wants to know our thoughts on playing Best of Two um, because it 
he said it helps those players to take a bit longer, maybe not as experienced. You can allow more time per game. They do best of two in their community. They automatically switch out who has objectives, um, and they say it works well for uh, at their tournaments, and they've had a lot of good feedback on it. Uh, and then he says it gets exciting right to the end when it comes to glory difference to decide the winner in a one uh, in a if each person wins a game because they use the glory differential as a tiebreaker. Um, so I used to be a big fan of the idea of best of two. Mm-hmm. Um, I've slowly been converted to. I think best of three is the most ideal. I think. Yes, it takes longer. But that's part of playing competitively, like any sport, really. And yeah, I'm gonna equate it to a sport because at the end of the day, it's a competitive in nature. Like mm-hmm. you know, you go play basketball. You have a certain number of time to like get your shots in, play your cards. Um, in this game, yes, you're a bit more reliant on your opponent and their speed. But um, you know, like my ideal scenario is like both of you have won one, and then you go to game three. And, like, you both mm-hmm. know your secrets, you both know what's in the other person's deck, and you just duke it out. And that's where skill and maybe even luck comes into play. But, personally, not a fan of best of two. I don't think it works with this game. But I'm really happy that it has worked for you, Brizzy Beast, and um, perhaps something that Games Workshop might explore. But for me, it's just not not something I'm interested in at this time. Yeah, I think it can work, but I think you have to recognize that it creates a very different meta. Um, if you win the first game, then your goal of the second game would be just to not lose by as much as you won by. Correct. Just kind of a strange interaction. Um, I don't know if it's bad. Uh, it's just very different. Um, so I think it would change a lot in the way that you play. Um, and without like actually sitting down and doing that for a while, I bet it would change deck building too. Um, I can't really grasp the... F- like the full implication of that. Um, I sort of love the idea of having all matches last the same amount of time. It's kind of um, frustrating from an event planning perspective that a lot of games go 2-0 and then you sit around waiting for the people that didn't. Um, but I think that's just kind of a, you know, a nature of the beast. And um, I think we've talked about before, we think maybe that there needs to be more time in rounds and that if time is an issue, maybe we need to have something like chess clocks and things. So I don't think best of two should be a solution to people playing too slowly. Um, I think it might have merit as a format, but it's so different that uh, it'd be hard to say without trying it for a while. That's I think that was very well said. Um, um, we'll just go to the next question then. Yeah, so this is from Tabled Noob. Um, so this is Jason from the Battle Mallet. Uh, what podcast would win in a real-life Battle Royale? um maybe crit def (laughs) it is in terms of like what underworlds or is it like oh i was thinking it would be like (laughs) us like punching and fighting each other yeah 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 no i'm thinking of the movie battle royale i'm (laughs) thinking underworlds i'm thinking underworlds yeah matt martins he's in the military right he was like he's yeah he'll rambo us all i think so (laughs) no 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 if this is it, okay, fine. This is fair. If this is real life, like Hunger Games, like yeah, we would instantly die. But <laughs> I'm um, soft. I'm a, yeah. Well, I'm I mean, I felt like I could last longer than you, if I'm gonna be honest. But yeah. if we're a team, like our team would lose. Um, Agree. But but um, if if it's Underworlds, then I think we win. All right. Yeah. Um, just because like 
competitively we've done the best in terms of like our successes, but I don't know. Now that now that Mike and Tom have a podcast, they might give us a run for their money. Uh, right, but we're the only podcast with both people or all hosts of one grand. Uh, yeah, and, and we, we actually we each have two trophies under our belt. Uh, so yep, true. You know, at the end of the day, you know, we'll see. But real life battle royale, Matt Martin will Rambo us all. <laughs> um, I agree. I agree completely. I don't even know what the rest of his team is like. It doesn't even matter. He <laughs> yeah. is the Predator and, Rambo met some and them, Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's Arnold Schwarzenegger and Predator and Rambo combined. Oh my God. It's it's, it's scary. Next question. Um, in 2019, Jonathan, what was your favorite game or matchup? Um, I don't know. Maybe um, I think some of the games I played with Dean were. Were really fun. The Thorns and the Profiteers were uh, very interesting because they're both good at what they do. I'll just say that. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, how about you? Uh, it's interesting. I think the one that comes to mind immediately would be like my game with Jimmy at Nova. Mhm. Like that third game could have just gone either way so easily. Yeah. Um. And I'll always, always wonder <laughs> if I should have just Spear of Akshid without the... I forget the gambit that gives you an instant channel for your next right, spell. Right, right, But I always wonder if I should do just Spear of Akshid instead. Like, what was the right play? Do mm-hmm. I think the safe play was the right play or should I have taken that risk? Because if I had killed, if I had, if I had played Spear of Akshid, I would have won that game, hands down. Like, right. we both looked at the cards in my hand and what I would have drawn into because of my surges. And he even admitted like, yeah, you would have won. But it's like, so it's like one decision, the whole game. And like, for me, it was like, I learned a lot because it's sometimes like, you just got to go for it. You know, mm-hmm. obviously Jimmy's a great player. I like him. Um, so great opponent as well. Uh, and we were playing a mirror match. So it's again, like a greater yeah. uh, trial of skill. Um, so, Cool. Was that a misplay? Was it not? I don't know. It's still undecided. Everyone asks has a different answer. So probably yeah. my, my most memorable game. I don't know about favorite, but memorable for sure. Cool. Well, let's go to the next one. This is from DDC. Uh, what new design space would you like to see explored in the Nurgle warband? Um, he says he thinks it's a three-man warband, I guess from the cards that we've seen so far. I actually mm-hmm. haven't really paid attention to that. Um <clears throat> says three-man warband with less or we've seen a three-man warband with less durability but higher damage potential in ripas how would they handle a three-man with less mobility than the stormcast i guess he's assuming that they'll be slower, slower. but probably more durable yeah i guess so so if they are a three-man warband i think yeah. the question then comes down to like, why are you assuming they're going to be less mobile I get it, like Nurgle is um, like bulkier. But like if you I look guess at they're slow in forty K, that's sort of the extent of Are they? Knowledge. They move six inches, don't they? <sighs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Even if so. you look at Age of Sigmar, like Slaves of Darkness book just came out. Sure. And Nurgle Chaos Warrior moves the same speed as a corn <laughs> Chaos Warrior or slash Chaos Warrior. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean I would I, hope they didn't move too. Yeah. Um, no. I don't think they would. That'd be suicide. 
we saw how that how, we saw how well that worked out for the chosen axis. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, I think from a durability, a durability standpoint, um, and I'm sure they will be much slower than Ripa's, I would think. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I'm. Uh, it'd be cool to see if they had some kind of innate um, way to ignore damage, or like I know in 40k they uh, have like a feel no pain. Because 40k's were most of my experiences. A lot of nerd right. stuff have disgusting resilience yeah. where they just shake off damage. Um, oh, so, be, so the, yeah. And something like that would be cool. Um, I'd, I'd love to see like some sort of like a lot of debuffs and stuff. Like, yeah. Um, but I don't know. Just from a, like a uh, a meta perspective, having another tough warband would be interesting because that kind of skews you towards, uh, or like it forces you to pick between like, do I try to kill a bunch of two wound fighters or do I, you know, have to burn down a big fighter? Um, so I, I'm I'm excited, but I. Um, I don't. It's hard for me to speculate. Yeah, I think so. I think it'd be really neat um, to see a warband that maybe is more tankier than like a like if you compare it to Stormcast, where you you're you know three man <laughs> warbands, but then maybe we're already as, really tanky, so that would be <laughs> really yeah. But then maybe not have as much damage output. Yeah, right? that might be a way to do like, it. Like like maybe less damage. Um, or maybe like as you mentioned, debuffs. Maybe mm-hmm. they're like cool power cards or gambits that can allow them to shrug off wounds. Because um, like you know, like lore we have, wise, like, escape. We have like uh, Eldritch War. We have similar stuff already. So yeah, exactly. Some stuff like that. Where like because like lore wise, like you know, you often read this in the lore or books. It's like you know they've shrugged off wounds that would already kill like a space right. marine or like a chaos warrior because they're like so bloated and like immune to pain. So yeah. I think that'd be really neat. It'd be really cool. Interesting mechanic as well. Um, it could be even an expire mechanic. I don't know, but yeah. I like the idea of a more durable stormcast warband. I don't know if I feel about a less mobile stormcast warband. Um, DDC to answer your question. Cool. Let's go to the next one. Um, so let's go. So this one is from Magor. Um, got a bunch of questions for you reading your blog. Notice how much of your success has come from profiteers. Why that warband? Uh, you're one of the first people, as far as I can tell, found success with them. When did you realize they were square immediate machines? Uh, as you're one of the people who made the warband popular, do you feel like people copied your deck play style with them? I noticed that your deck didn't change too much since your Warhammer Fest performance. It's a lot of questions, geez. Uh, <laughs> what were the reasons for the card changes you did indeed make when looking at the meta? You explained some of this in your writing, but I'd like to see the greater detail. Okay, so I'm just going to try to run through these quickly. First of all, thank you for the thoughtful question, Magor. Um, why that warband? So a lot of these questions I've kind of like touched on in the past, um, but I think Profiteers, um, I really like the idea of a ranged warband. Uh, Far Striders were my first love. And uh, being able to do two damage at range is awesome. And then also having every member in your warband fire at range is really appealing to me. And then obviously, you know, they have a lot of wounds. Um, one of the first people found success. When did I realize there were score immediate machines? Almost immediately. I've always played score immediate since Adepticon even. Um, mm-hmm. I've been a fan of that play style. So it, it was kind of like like peanut butter and jelly. Like for me, it's like, Oh, this warband's really cool. 
and I like playing score immediate stuff. That makes sense. <laughs> um, so I kind of just stuck with them. Um, one of the Warband people, do I feel like people copied your deck? No, absolutely not. Um, I don't even think I was one of the people who made the Warband popular. I think maybe I had my first, like, good showings with them, sure. But I don't think I made that Warband popular. And I don't think people copied my deck or play style because it's really intuitive. Like, you look at the deck and you see that they can score a lot of cards and they're hit pretty accurately. Mm-hmm. Um, do I feel like maybe certain people have copied certain card choices? Maybe. I mean, but no, I don't think anyone has copied the play style. Maybe the decks, but not the play style. But even then, the decks are pretty intuitive as well. So I'm, I'm not a genius as much as I'd like to think that I am. <laughs> um, I think the community is really intelligent and everyone kind of comes to the same conclusions. But I appreciate the compliment there. Um, notice your deck didn't change too much since Warhammer. What were the reasons for the card changes you made when looking at the meta? Um, this could be a very long answer. I'm going to keep it succinct, <laughs> though. Um, I just look at what's the best and what's my best way of beating it. So I think most famously, I thought objectives were really strong, so I took cards like Shard Gale and Crouching Shadow and Lethal Ward to make sure that I could just ping them down. Um, so you can't score objectives if your fighters are dead. Um it's kind of the way I looked at it. Um, but I really do appreciate the question. You do have another one. Uh, <laughs> no offense intended, but how do you feel about Jonathan winning a Grand Clash before you, considering it was his first one and his deck was eerily similar to your deck at Gen Con? Um, so number one, we've talked about this in the past. I think Jonathan is a fantastic player. I think if it's not me, it should have been him. Uh, we've mentioned this many times whenever we go to an event. The goal is for one of us to win. Uh, we both confide in each other. We practice with each other. We each other's confidants. So strategies and similar line of thought and thinking are always very similar. Um, eerily similar to my deck at Gen Con. I mean, I, that's, I don't know, semantics really. Like, it was a good strategy. It worked. He made it even better. I, I don't think. And I think that, that we both, like, worked on multiple versions of that deck together correct so So, i wouldn't i i'm not i don't think it's i think it's a fair question but again i'm not a genius (laughs) as much as i like (laughs) to think i am um you know like we came up with a deck it worked he made some tweaks to his liking he made it better i mean and then i took that version of the deck and i made it better or like fit my stand like my Play style yeah. better, and then I want a Grand Clash with it. So, like, both our Grand Clashes, we influence each other's decks. I don't think... Uh, yeah. I don't I don't, I don't. think, Magor, you're trying to pit us against one another. But, um, <laughs> like, you know, I, for anyone out there, like, it, it's not like that. Like, Jonathan and I work together on everything, um, and we run everything by each other, for the most part, unless we're trying to keep it a secret from each other, which is very <laughs> rare. And yeah. our play styles and our thought process are the same just because you're going to discuss things on a podcast uh doesn't mean you haven't heard us like we haven't discussed those things hundreds of times just playing together or just chatting on the phone um right so uh i just want to clarify that but i really appreciate the questions nonetheless um and i'm very happy that jonathan won a grand clash and i'm happy i did too um yeah, yeah. same question or next questions are by magor 
but they're <laughs> to you. Uh, what was the reason for you to take Profiteers to the Nova Open? Why the switch from Guardians that you took to the American Team Alliance event? Yeah, yeah. Um, basically, the reason I took Profiteers is that I thought they were um, one of the best meta picks. Um, I also hadn't won anything with them before. Um, I almost brought... Um, I actually hadn't really even played them that much before Nova um, because people I knew were playing them. Um, so I had the advantage of playing against them quite a lot, so I feel like I understood them from that perspective. Um, I didn't take Guardians. I didn't really even consider Guardians at that point because of the where they were in the meta after the final Ben and Restricted update. Um, and the only reason that we took Guardians to the American Team Alliance event... Um, was because we thought that they um, fit well into our team format and into what we expected to see. So um, it wasn't really a competition between them. Um, I almost brought Gits. I was going to play an aggro Gits with like a bunch of weapons and pure carnage, um, where the goal was just to try to kill you and then outscore you if you hit me back hard enough, um, which I think may have done very well. But the reason, the main reason I picked uh, Profiteers is because I felt like they uh, had just most of the tools, and I hadn't won anything with them yet. So, <laughs> um, like, like just like currently for uh, upcoming tournaments, I'm trying not to play stuff that I've won things. Like, if I've won a glass with a uh, warband, I'm trying to retire it. And I'm not sure if that'll stay uh, the case for Grand Clashes, but if I can, it will. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're all trying to do the yeah. Underworlds challenge, right? I just like the variety right. too. Like if, once I win, I feel like I've sort of like checked off that box and like uh, my interest in a warband kind of goes down a little bit. Um, Gits were possibly going to be the exception because I just enjoy playing their sort of chaotic play style. Yeah, no, that that's a great way to, to, to put it. And um, yeah, I've, I kind of feel the same way. Um, but anyways, next question um, to same by Magor again. Thank you for these questions, Magor. Uh, to both, do you like Beastgrave out of the three seasons, which is your favorite so far, and why do you think that Nightfall Warbands are still so powerful when compared to Beastgrave? Um, so I guess we'll just alternate on both. Jonathan, do you like Beastgrave? Uh, yeah, I do. I think I think that right now my favorite part of it is just how um, like how smooth the meta power curve is. Um, I feel like you know there's at least like eight Warbands that I can play um and do pretty well with against most people mm -hmm. um and i'm really just enjoying uh and that so i'm having a great time um how about you i like it i i don't know if i like the lethal hex placement if i'm gonna be honest but mm -hmm. uh part of the game got to adapt but i've, I've really had fun with it i like all the warbands i think they're all relevant in their own way um, I'd like to see more from the hunter core mechanic, but, uh, so far, yeah. Do I like it? Yes. Yeah. Um, as far as the second part, do you, wh why do you think Nightbolt Warbands are still so powerful when compared to Beastgrave? Um, I think my answer would be, I think that, uh, the designers hit their stride in Nightbolt, um, with a couple exceptions, um, mainly Eyes of the Nine. Um, and Moloch. Uh, yeah, and Moloch. Um, I think that uh, maybe they did a little bit too much or a little bit too little, but um, I mean, honestly, they've done an incredible job. Um, and then I think for Beastgrave, um, it seems like 
um, they've just tried not to make them more powerful than that. Although a lot of them do have really good faction cards, but I don't feel like there's been too much creep in general, although maybe Grimwatch are a little bit better. But then again, Thorns, I think, are better than Grimwatch. So, it, you know, it's, it's really hard to say, but I think they've just figured it out at this point. Um, and I would hope that most things continue to be relevant um, for a while. Yeah, I guess for me, um, I don't necessarily know. I mean, first of all, we haven't seen all of Beastgrave, so we don't know who will end up being more powerful, I think. Um, there were some major shifts, like this whole episode kind of discussed this theme, where, like, you know, there were so many ups and downs. I think one of the biggest reasons why people feel like Night Vault Warbands are still so powerful is because the two starter set Warbands run the meta. <laughs> um, Curse Breakers and Thorns uh, of the Briar Queen have consistently been at the top. Um, whether it was Curse Breakers' time to shine, or now in Beastgrave, the Thorns of the Briar Queen, um, when you ask someone what the top three warbands are, the answers are Thorns and Curse Breakers, somewhere in there. It doesn't matter what order. If you want to sandwich Grimwatch in the middle, that's fine. Um, so I think just from that standpoint, like just out the gate, two very powerful warbands that have just been around for so long. So there's this perceived level of power, which for for the most part is true. But then I think if you look at towards the end of Night Vault, um, like Night Vault warbands were winning everything and Shadesfire warbands weren't. And then when you look at Beastgrave, as Jonathan mentioned, it seemed like there was more of a toned down approach. Um, every warband is, is fun, like I said, and I think they're all playable. But like the only warband I've seen that's like Night Vault level is Grimwatch. So maybe Night Vault warbands are just too strong to begin with. Um, so I would not, I would challenge that instead of hitting their stride, maybe they got, had a lot of fun with making those warbands, um, and made them <laughs> yeah. all quite powerful in their own right. I mean, we have different cases like Eyes of the Nine or Godsworn, um, Molog's being a bit too strong, but like, um, I also think it had a lot to do with the universal cards. So like, mm-hmm. if you take those same warbands and you put them in a beast grave vacuum, um, a lot of those warbands don't do as well, except maybe Thorns. So, uh, long-winded answer, but again, I think the Nightfall warbands are better just because their faction, or their universal cards are better. And they work better with those warbands. Um, last question, out of the three seasons, which one is your favorite so far, Jonathan? Oh, um, well, I kind of missed Shadespire, although I am interested to see how the video game pans out. Um, cause kind of get to replay that. Um, I mean, I guess I'd say right now Nightball was my favorite just because we had the most, uh, like experience with that. Um, I'm very excited to see where Beastgrave goes though. So it could, you know, this time next year asking the same question, I might change my mind. Yeah. Or I may have a different answer. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a valid point for me. It's Nightbolt. Yeah. Um, most experience with this format it's where we grew as players. We've kind of uh, understood it really well. We've been successful. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, favorite warband ever that came out came out in Nightbolt for me. Two of my favorite. Uh, yes, I'm a power gamer, profiteers and curse breakers. But uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I just find them really fun to play. It's not my fault. They happen to be good as well. Um, but either way, um, 
Nightball was the best, in my opinion, so far. And uh, I think I am really looking forward to Beast Grave and seeing how these final four warbands play out. Um, yeah, the cool thing for me is we like to think about is that we have only only have like about 90 universal cards so far from uh, Beast Grave because we have the uh, two warbands worth that you have about 30 and then. Uh, we got about 30 in the gift ca- in the gift pack. Right. So for Beast Grave, like, and I think there's going to be about 200 and something or something like that. Um, so we have at least 120 more cards coming, uh, presumably. So like, it's really only just begun, which is really Oof. cool to me. <laughs> is this all you can conjure, Dave Sanders? <laughs> um, no, honestly, great point. And, um, Again, looking like looking forward to seeing, you know, what happens. I mean, Beast Grave yeah. could be the best season yet. I mean, thus far, all the four warbands released, I enjoy playing all of them. Um, mm-hmm. Grimwatch are strong, so I don't play them as much. But like, I don't ever get bored playing Wild Hunt, Despoilers, or Snarlfangs. And I think that's a really, really, uh, it attests to the the great design behind those warbands, because like. Even in Night Vault, I've got bored of playing some of those warbands mm-hmm. um, early on as well. Like once I got glassed, some of them I never played them again. Um, right. But you know, with the Wild Hunt and the spoilers especially, I have a ton of fun with them. Yeah, yeah. So it's going good, and it's just gonna get better. So can't wait. Yeah, and and I think that rounds out all our questions. Probably one of our lengthier episodes, <laughs> but it was a review of the year. And, it was a long uh, year. <laughs> it was a long year. Yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of uh, successes, a couple of failures, but a lot and a lot of moments to grow and develop as people, as players, and as content creators. And um, very excited that Path to Glory has been received so well by our our listeners and the community, and our you know content co-creators, and that we hope at least from our end that we continue to bring you you know top tier content and hopefully we can improve with every episode so um thank you so much just as general for for being awesome and supporting us for the year of 2019 and you know i think i can speak for both of us when we say that you know we're just getting started and we're really really looking forward to uh bringing you some great content in 2020 and hopefully you know getting that to be received well as well yeah, absolutely. Uh, we just want to keep getting better. And uh, if you do have any feedback, definitely let us know on the Discord. Um, we'd love to talk to you on there and uh, anything we can do to improve. So. Yeah, I guess uh, you want to do the outro? Sure. All right, everyone, that's it for this episode. If you have any feedback, questions, or comments, let us know on Facebook at Path to Glory Podcast or on our Discord. You can also follow us on Podbean, where you can find the show notes for this episode. Rate us on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and we wish you the best of luck on your path to glory. Nice! (laughs) Oh, my God.